the blast from our past network. Hi, this is Tom Noonan, and you're listening to Podcasting After Dark. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, starring Jameson Parker, Donald Pleasance, and Victor Wong. This is not a dream. We are transmitting from the year 2020. This is the podcasting after dark. <laughs> John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness episode. Hey, this is what you happens almost, when you try to. You almost made it. <laughs> I almost did. You know what? But 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 I think I like it. I like it. Um, hey, yeah, it's me. It's it's a one half of the pad team. Tiny T, sweet sexy Zach, joined as always with my beautiful bodacious co-host. Sleazy C, Corey, what's happening? What is up? <laughs> we are we are in we are in for a treat, my friend. Um, yes, if uh, if if you didn't tell by the terrible intro that I just did, uh, we are doing the 1987 film John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness today on Podcasting After Dark. Woo, baby! Get ready for a long one. Insert uproarious cheer because I have been waiting. Uh, since probably episode one for this. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I do not forget that about a year ago, uh, in, in the process of recording this, you covered one of my favorite John Carpenter films of all time, The Thing, and I thought, um, I knew we were going to make it to a year and very well into the future, but I thought, okay, a year from now, I'm going to do John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. So I actually sat on this movie for a quite some time because this, in fact, is my favorite John Carpenter film of all the times. No shit. I mean, I yes. I know that you love John Carpenter. I've known that forever. Um, you and I, you know, we talk about it a lot on here, but just to throw it out there, you and I did like uh, one year we kind of did a, a an auteur uh, celebration where we followed John Carpenter's, uh, um, you know, filmography from beginning, I think, up until this. And so for me... Now John Carpenter movies are kind of always connected to you, Zach, and I think that's awesome. And uh, I know that you've always loved The Thing, I know that you love They Live, and I know that you love Prince of Darkness, but I guess I never really put it together that this one was your favorite. Yeah, this one has a, I have a really long history with this film, um, dating back to when it first came out. I saw it in the theater with my mom, and it scared me, uh, beyond compare when it, when I saw it in the theater. Yeah. And there's so many elements that we'll get into that just have stayed with me over the years that, spoiler alert, totally hold up, uh, if not more so now. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity about 15 years ago uh, at a Fangoria convention to meet John Carpenter when he was promoting uh, <clears throat> Goes to Mars. Uh, it must have been 20 years ago now, I suppose. I was with yeah. my brother Eric, good old uh, sleazy E, and uh, he's got a little bit of sleaze in him. That that save that for another. Don't save all. that for a watch list, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, at the time, I wasn't a big autograph guy. I was never. That wasn't my thing. I always liked meeting 
celebrities and getting to just basically tell them that I'm a fan of their stuff. Uh, but then something changed when I, I think Reggie Bannister was the first one. I met him and I'm like, Reg, I'll tell that story when we do Phantasm. Uh, you know, he, he autographed some photos for me and I was like, this is so cool. I, and I was hooked from that point on. I was like, oh, I want to do this with everybody. And I thought instead of getting a photo autographed, I want to get like a DVD autographed or a VHS. And so this is back when autographs were free believe it or oh, not. Oh, shit. And John Carpenter was promoting the movie. He was there with the cast of Ghost of Mars. Uh, I don't think Ice Cube was there, but um, Nat- Natasha Henstridge was there, yeah. and the guy who plays Big Daddy was there, and a couple other people. Anyways, oh, was, was, was that guy in... Wait, do you mean Big Daddy from... What are you, in the movie? Yeah, yeah, the guy, the the main like alien villain okay, guy. Okay, okay, gotcha. Uh, I forget his. I, it's something like Big Daddy. Yeah, I think my right? mind so, went somewhere else. I think that was that the the in Land of the Dead that one zombie that kind of led the zombies. I think his name was maybe Big Daddy. My mind jumped to that. So, anyways, I kind of derailed us. Sorry, go back to your uh, story. <laughs> no, it's all good because I, I I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, is am I getting movies mixed up because i think they came around out around the same time too and anyways um no the, he, john carpenter did a q a and uh i won't spoil the ending just yet but i i will i did ask him about the ending of this movie in particular uh i said i, I you know i said my favorite film of yours is prince of darkness and everybody started clapping oh nerd clap like <laughs> oh that's a deep pull you know because yeah. typically people say like halloween the thing notably obviously great movies uh, but mine is a little fairly obscure um, and, and first of all, he's like, well, thank you for saying that. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I said, I said, I asked him about the ambiguity of the ending or his endings in general, uh, because he's, this isn't the only one that has an ambiguous ending, all of the thing. And he said at that time, he said, I love leaving the rest of the story up to the audience to decide what happens. And I thought that that was the coolest thing. And I've never seen a director like John Carpenter before or since, uh, the, truly one of a kind. That is this damn movie, true right there. <laughs> right. And so, so he, after this was all said and done the Q and a, they, they, people can line up for autographs and I'm like, shit, Eric, I'm going to get, a, I'm going to get my DVD signed. You know, and I pull out my Prince of Darkness DVD signed uh, copy, which you can find a photo of that on the Instagram. I think at this point you probably would have posted it by now. Uh, if not, you will. Um, and I bring the movie out to him and he looks at the movie. It's so cool. He looks at it and he's like, I really love this movie Aww. and he signs it and I said oh could you personalize it and he's like oh yeah he's like you're not going to try and resell this I said no I'm not he's like oh cool okay like he was super cool yeah uh so totally personable again it was such a great moment and I was like yeah this movie's going to stay with me forever this moment's going to stay with me forever flash forward to 2020 and here we are that's... The opportunity to do this movie, to break it down and do it justice, uh, as much justice as I can. You are far superior at this than I am. I'm more just like, that. Eh, I got this little comment guy. Uh, <laughs> now that you get to be the comment guy and I get to be the guy that takes 26 pages, 26 <laughs> pages of extensive notes. So. <laughs> yeah, those are always fun movies uh, <laughs> to do. Um, I, my, By the way, about the, the whole autograph thing, I, I'm like you. I'm not the biggest autograph guy, but if I'm going to get something autographed, I kind of like getting the DVDs autographed because you kind of have yeah. them forever. And uh, yeah. I have, I still have 
uh, the Blu-ray, the 3D Blu-ray release of Tron and Tron Legacy, and I have them signed uh, by both directors. I didn't kind of want cool. both of them to sign each one. <laughs> I kind of wanted the right one to sign the right one, but it kind of got weirdly shuffled, and they just wound up both, you know, just signing each one. But I talked to both of them, and they were super, super nice. Um, but it was like a whole like ordeal waiting in, in uh, line all day at, at Best Buy in L.A. And I had to get to like the Best Buy in West Hollywood in L.A. at like seven in the morning or six in the morning, and in you know in traffic. And of course, of course, like at that main intersection. In West LA at seven in the morning, there was a naked guy running around traffic with another just Samaritan running after him. And I'm just like, yep, that's, um, that's LA right there. So, <laughs> but that was a cool experience. I enjoyed it. But getting back to Prince of Darkness, um, as per usual, our, our relationship to the movie, uh, Zach, you kind of just covered a lot of yours. Mine <laughs> is through Zach. <laughs> it was a movie that I never quite watched when I was a kid. Honestly, even to this day, I don't think that that poster, that cover is all that impressive. No, it's actually one of the, my least favorite posters of his. Yeah, it's just... It's, it's pretty bad. It doesn't do it justice. In fact, I think the Shout Factory Blu-ray, it's not that great either. It, it's very ho-hum. Yeah, it's... it's, like, it's yeah, I don't Then they've done that. Yeah, I don't love the, the Shout Factory one either, but it is better than the original. Uh, True. So, I... I probably at some point saw it when I was younger, bits and pieces, but it doesn't matter. I count my first time watching it was with you during our John Carpenter marathon. And, and I mean, honestly, at this point, guys, this isn't a review. This is going to be a love fest because <laughs> Prince of Darkness yeah. now inhabits this uh, so far. There's really three strong movies in this category for me, which is like m- classics cult classics that i found at 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 an older age and now i love them to death uh prince of darkness i absolutely adore halloween 3 i absolutely adore and the original uh black christmas i absolutely adore and all three of those movies i didn't kind of discover slash fall in love with them until like probably the last five six seven years you know so they're they're pretty recent and uh when I watched Prince of Darkness with you for the first time, I was blown away by it. Uh, and I will, of course, talk about all the things I loved about it in during the course of our breakdown. Um, but the second time I ever saw the movie was when you and I went and saw it at the actual church that it was filmed at, or the exteriors were filmed at in Los Angeles, and uh, sat, well, some of the interiors too. Yeah, some of yeah, yeah. Until they were, I guess, they were converted into the. It's now like a, a playhouse, or you know, prior to COVID, it was uh, I think a playhouse slash theater that they did it with, uh, converted yeah. it to. But dude, it's seeing, actually. Oh, sorry, I was just no, I was just gonna wrap it up and say, seeing it there with you. I mean, I can I know it was a big deal for you, but it was a big deal for me, even though I just recently fell in love with that movie. And to this day, that's probably one of the reasons I love it so much is because we freaking saw it there. And every time I see the movie, I'm just always like I tell my wife because uh, I showed it to her this time. I was like, we saw it there. We were there. And it's, that's so cool, man. And that's one of the things that I miss the most about L.A. aside from my friends. Obviously, whenever I say I miss something from L.A., my friends are number one, but those yeah. kind of things are, are the things that I do miss about L.A. Well, I, I was going to say just to piggyback on that. First of all, I agree. It's all about the friends, you know, <laughs> friends and <are> family. <laughs> um, but I, as a kid watching this movie, I, I said, I want to track down that church as a kid. Uh, 
flash forward to Seth being 17, driving down to LA with my buddy Jamal for the first time. And, and both of us were like, yeah, we're going to find that church from Prince of Darkness. And I thought I found it in Hollywood. I'm like, oh, that's got to be the church, right? And I was convinced that this church in Hollywood was the location where they shot Prince of Darkness for years, for decades. And then uh, Sean Clark, who is a horror aficionado, um, he does these, I forget the name of them, but they're, he, he basically does deep dives on locations. He the, A lot of extras on a lot of the Shout Factory DVDs and other DVDs and Blu-rays have like these segments with him. He did one for Return of the Living Dead, oh, yeah, yeah. Halloween Three, uh, horror, uh, Hor- uh, horrors Hollow Ground. There I you go. Yep, that's it. it. Horror, yeah. horrors Hollowed Grounds. I love those on the Shout Factory. I yeah, I think they're great. I think he's a cool, super cool dude. I met him once. He's a really nice guy, and I love his dedication. He's obviously a horror fan like we are. And he did a special screening uh, of Prince of Darkness at the location. He was giving tours of the location. And I remember when I first heard about it, it sold out immediately. And then he offered up second tickets, and that's when I jumped on them. And he's like, well, there won't be a tour, but if you go on my Facebook page, I'll tell you all the locations, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's converted now into like a – it's a Japanese uh, playhouse. Mm. So it's owned and run by – some sort of like Japanese Heritage Foundation, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping it's still there, and I'm hoping that it survives the the <laughs> this apocalypse. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we got to walk around the grounds of it, and I knew some of the knowledge of uh, like they filmed certain scenes, and there is it's not on this Blu-ray, I don't think. Uh, but there is a segment it might you might be able to find on YouTube where he de- shows you all the scenes where they filmed. Uh, prince of darkness in this church and it's uh, yeah it was so cool i remember we we brought our friend uh diallo was with us too right yeah i think yeah, diallo was there yeah i believe and, so and then, yeah and this my buddy of mine uh, named uh Sinan, who's from who's turkish and everything's a selfie he's like i want to take selfie i want to take a selfie <laughs> with you. come on let's take a selfie before selfies were a thing and uh he's like let we gotta do some oh zach we gotta do selfies because he'd never seen prince of darkness and he was like blown away by it and I remember he's like, I think you were like smoking a cigarette or something. He's like, I'm going to take selfies with you. Come on, Zach. Let's go take selfies <laughs> in the alley, in the, in the, in the famed alleyway where, yeah. uh, you know, some bullshit goes down. So anyways, yeah, great experience. I'm so great. I'm so honored that I got to share that with you uh, and that you love this movie as much as I do. And I can't wait to dig into it. Yeah, it's going to be a long one in a good way. Uh, and we'll sprinkle little tidbits here and there, little trivia things if they come up. If not, don't hold it against us. It's more just like gushing over scene after scene. And thank you, Jesus, for subtitles on a Blu-ray disc because this opened my eyes tenfold. Uh, Totally different experience being able to read, knowing the dialogue that I thought I knew for years being kind of different than what I remembered it being. Yeah, I... I want to add just two things before we get into the the breakdown of the the cast and crew and everything. Yeah. Um one, I find this to be a movie that gets better every time that I see it. I probably Agreed. should have saved that to the final thoughts, but it doesn't matter, guys. We're Whatever. not going to hide the fact that we love this movie. Um <laughs> and I think it's probably because the it, the dialogue and the concepts are so 
dense in this movie, just really packed in there, that it takes a, a few viewings to kind of unpack it. Um, and then second, I did show this to my wife, Myra, uh, on my, you know, you know, always do like two viewings, you know, one for funsies and then one for, uh, you know, notes. Uh, funsies is usually not sober. Notes is always sober, so I can pay attention. Um, my wife thought she had seen it before halfway through. She was like, oh, no, I, I'd never seen this before. And uh, I was like, okay, but she started like getting into it. She freaking loved it by the end of it. She thought it was freaky as hell, especially when, like, just the people are standing there watching you and stuff like that. She thought it was freaky as hell, and she thought that ending was bananas. So I can't <laughs> – I mean, I can't wait to talk about all of that. But uh, let's let's dive into the, the extensive cast of just <laughs> John Carpenter uh, famous faces and everything, you know? Yes, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go – a little bit all over the place. I'm not going to follow the the full-on IMDb listing because I don't necessarily agree with like the top billing. So I'm going to go with who I think deserves top billing. Um, playing Brian Marsh is Jameson Parker. Jameson Parker of Simon and Simon fame. TV was, show Simon and Simon. I was going to say because I was looking at his IMDb and I was like, oh, Simon and Simon, which a show I remember, but I didn't watch it as much as, say, uh, Hunter or Scarecrow and Mrs. King. I watched those more than Simon and Simon. But wasn't Major Dad in Simon and Simon? Yeah, Gerald McCraney. Yeah. Uh, and and not only that, but the two of them starred in a film together opposite of each other because Gerald McCraney played the villain in a, mo- a very unknown movie. Uh, it's called some... The alternate title is called The Jackal, but... It's also known as American American Justice American before Justice. American Justice. Okay, and, uh, nice. And um, it had come out in the in the mid '80s, and definitely worth seeking out. I think you can find it on YouTube for free. It's really good. Uh, it's it's gritty. It's a it's a it's a, like a border action movie dealing with you know vigilante cops and like over the top cool. border cops. It's really cool. It's really cool. Anyways, Jameson Parker, uh, he's a writer now. He's like kind of a famous writer. Uh, he's written quite a few novels, oh. so that's nice to know in his second lease on life. You know, if you see a picture of him on Facebook, he's got a big old cowboy hat and he's got the mustache. He's got to have that like a mustache. West, <laughs> he's a Western dude, you know, and, and I think it's badass. Um, yeah, and he's got the most beautiful mustache I've ever seen on a man in my entire life. Forget Selick's six dash from Bang to P.I. This takes the cake. This it, is a blonde bouffant mustache. It is. It's it's unlike any mustache I've ever seen before in my life, and it is glorious. My my only thing with uh, <laughs> with him, Jameson, uh, is that I he's so good looking. I'm kind of shocked that he kind of didn't become a bigger sort of leading man. You know, agreed. I I kind of want. I I've been actually working on trying to get him on interviews after dark because. Um, I think he's just fascinating to me. I want to know his whole story. And obviously this movie for me put him, you know, people go, oh, Jameson Parker for Simon and Simon. I go, oh, Jameson Parker from John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. That's my immediately go to. Of course. He's, he's brilliant in this. So good. Uh, yeah, he plays Brian Marsh. I'll be referring to him as Bry or Brian throughout the episode. <laughs> um, Donald Pleasance, good old DP. Oof. Obviously, friend of John Carpenter. Uh, we don't need to talk about who he is or what he's done. Is Donald Pleasant? He plays the priest or the father. Yeah, and and guess what? He turns in an amazing performance, just like every other time. Yeah, he's it's brilliant, That's brilliant, it. brilliant. <laughs> That's all you gotta um, say. <laughs> yes, he's playing um, 
kind of the the opposite, the yin to the yang of of Donald Pleasance is Victor Wong. He plays Professor Howard Burak. And if you don't know who Victor Wong is, uh, I got multi words for you stretched out. Big trouble in little China. Egg Shen. <laughs> Egg Shen. Egg dude. motherfucking Shen. And, if you fuck, don't, and Tremors Graboids. Well, I was just about to say. <laughs> and if you like your Tremors, he was in that. And okay, you guys know how I feel about Tremors. So. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> and we um, all know that you're wrong. <laughs> hey, yeah, we can all be wrong about something in life. And that's, that's right. one thing I'm wrong about. And I will take that to my grave. Yeah, he plays <laughs> Professor Howard Burak. And it's brilliant, another brilliant performance. Uh, Lisa Blount, who I know from An Officer and a Gentleman, and Blind Fury, Rucker Hauer film. Uh, she plays Catherine Danforth. She's kind of, she's a, so Brian Marsh uh, is a student. Um, Professor Burak is his teacher. Uh, Catherine is another student in the class. I will be for referring to her as Catherine or Cat throughout this episode. Yeah, because even you know, and the funny thing is, like you know, calling them students makes it seem like they're in early college. They, these are all graduate students, all going Grad for students. their like doctorates and or to be professors and stuff. So, and I yeah. like that at one point he even says like, you know, you guys don't have your degrees or your doctorates, but you're all like intelligent and and capable in your own right, you know, and that's why he brings them on to this assignment. Totally. And, and sad story about Lisa Blount. Um, I don't think, I don't think she took her own life, but she died under mysterious circumstances. She had a rough, uh, tail end of her career and did not have a happy ending, unfortunately. Uh, beautiful actress. And in fact, like I had a huge crush on her when I saw her in this movie, when I was a kid, uh, and, and always refer to this movie as like, you know, I would like touch the mirror. I'm like, is she there? You know? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Lisa Blount, and she's no longer with us, which is really a bummer because she's a really great actress. Uh, but getting back to the comedic factor of this movie, Dennis Dunn, I love again, him. from I... Big Trouble in Little China. He's so Wang. good in this movie, dude. Uh, so going into this, I'm like, oh, it's Wang from Big Trouble in Little China. Well, he plays, he doesn't play Wang. He doesn't play Wang. He plays Walter, and he's anything but Wang. He's just, you know, cocky son of a bitch. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, Susan Blanchard is kind of a relatively unknown actress. She plays Kelly, one of the most important roles in the movie. Actually, everybody has a pretty important role, but hers is probably the most important. We'll get to why that is yeah. in a little while. Um, Anne-Marie Howard, another relatively unknown. She plays Susan. You know, Susan, radiologist, glasses. <laughs> glasses. I, I love that fucking <laughs> ongoing joke in this thing. It's, this movie Carpenter has the... remarkably funny humor in it for such a yeah. dark, dark movie. When you think about, like, Escape from New York. You know, the, the running gag in Escape from New York was Snake Plissken. Thought she'd be taller, you know, <laughs> the whole time. And, and it was great. Like, he's always got something to kind of somewhat lighten the mood. Huge difference from so many other films that came out around this time where they they couldn't balance that line of comedy and horror. Yeah. And he melds it perfectly. Uh, Anne Yen plays Lisa. She is another scientist as well. She's a um, Latin translator. And uh, Ken, a lot of these people are going to be like, who are these people? And most of these are, they've only done a handful of things in in between, nothing to necessarily mention. Uh, but I will get to the point of why I'm mentioning all of them. Ken Wright plays Lomax. 
Um, Dirk Blocker <laughs> plays Mullins. And, and dude, Dirk Blocker, yeah. By the way, fucking Dirk Blocker is Scully in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is my wife and I's one of our favorite shows. Uh, he he plays a, like a, a dumb kind of, him and his other cop are kind of uh, idiots, but, you know, it's funny and everything. And But, dude, he looks exactly the same, like with yeah. his bald head and his, and his, you know, his hair and stuff. And I was just like, holy shit. And I totally forgot he was in this like you know i saw th- i saw this with you and then i watched you know brooklyn 99 came out after and then i'm wa- and then i watch this again and i look at my wife and i go do you recognize him she's like i think i do I'm like it's fucking scully from brooklyn 99 she's like oh my god and then from that point forward i couldn't i could not see it you know what i mean see you did that and and i i honestly have not really watched that show all that often but i remembered him from poltergeist and he, he was one of the uh scientists in poltergeist well it's one of the guys who like set up and um, Holy it, shit! Uh, yeah. I can picture the one guy who rips off his face. Is that the nerd guy in this movie? That, that's the, no, 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 Dif- that different guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there was the African American gentleman. There was the lady. There was the guy that rips off his face, and then there was Dirk Blocker. And in yeah. my mind's eye, that character is completely blank. Like I can't see him at all. So I'll have to go back and rewatch that dude. And I am looking at his IMDb now. I, I'm like, Oh my God. And he was in Starman too. So yeah. it's just, it's funny. Cause you know, it's fucking Dirk Blocker. Who, who would have thought we would have landed on this uh, actor and had to talk about him for a few minutes, you know, but <laughs> you know, I love it. But guys, Brooklyn nine, nine, it's, it's a great show. It's hilarious. And he is hilarious on it. Dirk Blocker. <laughs> Dirk Blocker baby. That, that is that is such a that is such a porn star name by the way. It is. Um, it's <laughs> but anyways, uh Jesse Lawrence Ferguson plays Calder. Uh he oh man, just very 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 tall guy, very big guy. He was um, the the for me his with whole thing was the freakiest for me. Oh dude, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um moving on with the cast. Peter Jason. Woo! Babcock, baby! Babcock! Babcock. Babcock <laughs> from Dreamscape, bro. Uh, also from They Live. Had a he- really important role in They Live. He was in Village of the Damned, uh, John Carpenter's version of that. He's been in everything. He's, he's been in Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal movie. Mortal Kombat? <laughs> yeah, right? Not too many people out there uh, have a, f- a first and last name, which are both a <laughs> first name. Peter Jason. Uh, I love that. It's probably a state. It's got to be a stage name. Anyways, if it's not, it's badass. It's a great name. Uh, and he doesn't age either. He looks the same. Uh, this guy named Robert Grasmere plays Frank Wyndham, mm. who utters one of the, my favorite lines in this film. And I still to this day use the curse word that he uses. And I'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> I wrote uh, it down. I know exactly what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And then uh, Tom Bray, two more people. Tom Bray plays uh, Etchinson. Edginson is another one of the scientists, works for uh, Peter Jason, Dr. Paul Leahy. That's his character. And Tom Bray, uh, many of you, hopefully, and if you're not, it'll wind up on TV Obscura at some point. Well, he was on a show called Riptide in the <laughs> 80s. And Riptide is the shit. Joe Penny, uh, Perry King, obviously of class of 1984 fame, and they flew around in this awesome helicopter with a robot. The the r- helicopter had a big mouth on the front of it, like a military copter. Oh. Uh, just a badass show. Riptide was w- just another fun, like, P.I. show. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know him from Deep Star 6. Oh, yeah. That's right. He was in that, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The one of the, the, the out of Leviathan and Deep Star, the better one of the two underwater movies. That is that is how I feel. And a movie that is 100 percent going to be on podcasting after dark. 
whenever Zach unwraps it. <laughs> oh, gee, I, I'm so glad I didn't buy it from the new Kino sale that they're having right now. Uh, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. And then last but not least, and this guy was intending to just come on set to visit and because he's a big horror fan mm. and he ended up getting cast in the film oh uh and i think he sh- i think him and john carpenter share the same manager too and that's why the manager was like you should just be in the movie essentially i'm you know it's not how it went down but that's basically what happened alice cooper mm. um he plays well he's cast as street schizo which is really funny he's one of the homeless people the street walkers yeah as they're referred to in the movie in the movie i'll He's saying homeless probably at some point. Uh, but yeah, he and he was on the he's like his famous mug is plastered everywhere for this. Um, yeah, Alice Cooper and a, a prop that he uses in the movie actually was belongs to him and he would use it on stage at one point. And if you already know this movie and you know what we're talking about, that's kind of a fun fact. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was directed by John Carpenter. It was written by John Carpenter, but he used another name, uh, which is. Was he it? was billed as Martin Quartermass. Yeah. And he's a big film fan of Quartermass, uh, the Quartermass franchise, this 70s, 60s, 70s sci-fi, um, actually really cool, like BB, not BBC, Hammer Horror sci-fi franchise. If you've never seen a Quartermass film, you should check it out. Isn't one of them called like Quartermass in the Pit or something like that? Yes, that's yeah. probably the best one. Yeah. I, or it's the most famous. Um, yeah, and, and, and again... I refer to this movie as John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness because he put his name at the top of almost all his movies. And if he didn't put his name at the top of the movies, then you're like, ooh, then this movie might kind of suck. But in the 80s, that's what he did. I mean, he did this his entire career. I think Ghost of Mars was the last one that he he put his name on, uh, to the best of my knowledge. Anyways, um, my whole point in saying that is, you know, if, if John Carpenter... The minute you heard his name, you're like, oh, I want to go see that movie immediately. Um, This was the first – this was technically an independent film. The production company was Alive Productions, which is what he did. He made um, They Live under that production banner as well. Big Trouble had failed at the box office. Most of his movies – well, The Thing obviously failed, and Big Trouble failed, and so he – took it upon himself to make his own stuff. And the result is this. This is the second of his end of the world trilogy. Is it his apocalypse trilogy? Apocalypse. Yeah. Thank you. The first being obviously the thing, which Corey amazingly covered. And then the last one in the mouth of madness, um, which I, I personally think was his last really good movie that he made. <laughs> and, and I've never seen in the mouth of madness. We were supposed to get to it in our marathon and we kind of never did. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, should, should I watch it, you know, before we do this so I can, so I can sort of have it as a comparison point. And I was like, well, no, but what if like, you know, what if I just lean into having never seen it and I can watch it for the first time to review it on podcast after dark at some point, you know, and that'll be my hook is that I've never seen it before. So I think I'm going to just it's going to pop up on podcast after dark, even if I bring it to the table at some point, just so we can just so we can wrap up the apocalypse trilogy, you know, since we technically we already did the thing and we're doing this now. So at some point we should just do uh, um, in the mouth of madness. So here's my thought on that, too. And and I, I always felt after I found out at the Fangoria convention that this was a part of a trilogy, uh, kind of unplanned, uh, not necessarily not just they're not connected. in mind. It's more. Yeah, it's more like a, a thematic trilogy. 
Yes. I was like, well, would I, you could kind of say they live personally. I thought they live could be a part of that trilogy because even though, you know, the aliens are discovered at the end, it's still somewhat of an end of the world. They're taking over. Yeah. And who knows what happened from that point on again, you get to use your own imagination, which I love. Um, so I'm going to say they live is the, it's a quadrilogy. Hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to say they live. Okay. What would they live in there? Yeah. I, I, I'm actually with you. Not that I, you know, and I don't, again, I don't know what happens in the mouth of madness. So I don't know why it's considered in like one of his apocalypse trilogies, but I'm with you. Why isn't they live considered that? Because what happens in they live is like on a global scale, I guess, because yeah. the thing so far, the thing in Prince of Darkness, both of them, even though they're very intimate movies, they are dealing with something that is a global threat, essentially. And uh, so I, I guess that's what makes them uh, the apocalypse stuff. So, yeah, why why isn't they live a part of that? Maybe one well, day we'll get to ask John Carpenter that that would be. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Dream. That'd be true. True. If we get Keith David on here, we could talk about that too. That, so uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> and, if we, and if we get David Keith on here, then that would be another conversation about anything else, but, about why he's Keith, him and David Keith get all, Keith David get mixed up all the time. Anyways, um, should we do this? Should we just jump right in? John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. same dream. What is it? A secret that can no longer be kept. It started a month ago. What started? A change in the earth and the sky. His power. There's a weird locking mechanism. Looks like it can only be opened from the inside. A life form is growing out of prebiotic fluid. It's not winding down into disorder. It's self-organizing. It's becoming something. What? So, obviously, the movie opens up with a Universal logo, the old-school Universal logo, not that... Anyways, I love the old-school Universal. Of course. Um, Alive Films, and you immediately... And this is this sequence is, like, I think, uh, close to, like, 12 or 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's the longest opening credit sequence I've ever seen in my entire life, but I love that about this. So, the pacing is... He'll show some credits, then he'll show a scene, then more credits, and another scene, just kind of setting up everything that goes along. And the whole time, there's this awesome score in the background, sort of driving everything forward. And it's your, it's your, he did the music in this too, right? Like he always does. Sorry. Yeah, I think Alan Howarth also did a little bit of music on it. I have it on vinyl. Okay. This is, uh, so every Halloween I'll put this soundtrack on because it's so creepy. And yeah, that 
doom, doom, that famous carpenter beat that yeah. he loves to use with that synth. Yeah. He's the king of synth. It's awesome, He's dude. It, it, this soundtrack is fucking amazing. Yeah. Well, one of my notes, I, you know, I don't know where it is because uh, you're right. It is like 12 minutes, you know, but I do say in my notes, I freaking love this intro. I love this whole beginning. I love the music and everything, but um, I think it goes up until basically when they're moving into the uh, the – you know, church, but yeah, so it's about 12 minutes of, of an intro basically. It, it, it does. And, and, to, and to be honest with you, the first 45 minutes of this film, possibly hour, dare I say, really kind of set up what happens in the last 30. It, it's all kind of a setup to get to that point. Uh, it's like one long ass introduction of everything, which is really cool because it's a lot of fucking concepts that it's he's packing lot. into this thing, and it never feels like he's explaining it to you. You're just along for the ride, and it is fascinating every time I watch it. Yes. All the jargon, all the dialogue is just fascinating. So I, I can't wait to totally just dive agree. into all of it. Okay, so opens on a old dude on a bed. Turns out it's a priest. And he's got a small box on his belly, this small little silver box. And uh, from there, you cut to the Doppler Institute of Physics, which I think was USC. Yeah, that was all uh, USC there. It was, it's USC, and then the church there that he goes to, the mission, is Santa Barbara. Okay, which makes sense. So, you know, obviously, uh, Carpenter is an alum of USC. So yeah. he's like, oh, my old stomping grounds. Um, yeah, cuts to USC, Brian Marsh walking on campus i just wrote down stud with his tight with his tight polo shirt on this guy this is see this is the dude that i saw him and like that's how you wear a polo motherfucker and i would get a polo for my mom and it was baggy and the arms wouldn't you know they they, they cupped at the bottom to hold your bicep mine's just sloop slope below the bicep i'm like i don't i don't look like brian marsh from prince of darkness <laughs> Take this back to Mervin's mom. Anyways. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll say my note is uh, that's a sweet mustache, and he is hella cut, and he looks great <laughs> in that polo right there. Good, good for him, man. That mustache for him. is sweet as hell. So he comes on he comes onto the scene, and he scopes out Catherine, and he gives her this loving look. Like, he's already in love with her the minute he sets his eyes on her. Yeah. Um, and he's oh, a, get to the— He's yeah, a little stalkery here at the at the beginning. Oh, a little bit? Definitely. Yeah. I think I learned some bad moves from Bri Bri because <laughs> uh, I kind of followed suit and didn't go as well. Maybe it went as well as what happens to Catherine. <laughs> right. And uh, I will say, I got to say, my wife immediately with Catherine's hair, she had a lot to say about it. I was like, yeah. It, it's, as beautiful as Lisa Blount is, that hair is a female mullet. It is. That's what, that's what my wife said. It's it's like a female mullet or something. I'm like, I know. This, it's and, a female mullet. And it's so funny because I have a lot to say about the fashion in this movie. 1987 oh, is a wild time guys every woman has the mo- the biggest shoulder pads you've ever seen and the craziest 80s hair you've ever seen it, it's terrible but then it it where i go with it is like well they're all scientists they're all nerds they all kind of don't care about this stuff except for brian brian's like the only dude that looks like he works out on a regular basis oh him and walter i guess walter's kind of a he's a fashion magnet <laughs> he shops at international mail yeah, of course uh, okay, so from there, you cut back to uh, this nun who walks in on the priest uh, back at the mission or, yeah, and realizes that the priest is dead, Father Carlton. 
You know, I always wonder when you are like clearly like a 79-year-old actor playing a dead body, is that weird knowing that you're probably going to be dead in a few years too? Yeah, I'm sure it crosses their minds. It would cross my mind. Is this look good? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I'm going to look like when I die in a couple years? And what if they did die? What if you did die on set? Or just died right there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just a good place to die, I guess. Oh, shit. Got my insurance covered. Okay. So anyways, from there, uh, yeah, the nun calls a phone number. And she tells a priest, uh, probably Donald Pleasance, that the father's di- that uh, Father Carlton has died, and of course, cut to Donald Pleasance. What was he doing? Yeah, <laughs> he should have known. <laughs> he's got. He's, he's like he's very he Donald like Pleasance zero. in this one. Yeah, it's Donald Pleasance now. <laughs> he's just very like. He was ours. It's a product. We sold it to those that didn't have it. (laughs) (laughs) I love Donald Pleasance, but he definitely has a Donald Pleasance way of acting. Oh, you either love him or you don't. And and that's (laughs) why you love him, because he's like so he's he's got such a great style about him. Anyways, uh, yeah, Donald Pleasance shows up uh, at the at the where the father died. What was he doing here? He asks, and he spots a box on the table. The box that the box the peanut no never mind um, the, the the box that was on the father's belly. <laughs> Go listen to our Adventures of Fort Fairlane review. For yeah, because I'd love to do it again, but I don't want to. That'll be a whole other take. Uh, anyways, uh, he next to the box is a diary of the father's diary, and he opens it up and he says the title says uh, or the, the the page that he turns to the last page the Brotherhood of Sleep, and it says quote. I can no longer keep silent as to this dreadful secret that has been part of me since I took the vow of silence. In truth, I must tell you, His Holiness, the Archbishop, if only to hasten the moment when the secret can be revealed, for I can see for myself that the dormancy period is now coming to an end. I love that. You're like, what the hell is he even talking about? Meanwhile, I never was able to read any of this shit back in the day because I watched it on VHS or watched it at the theater. Back to the quote from human eyes for so long is now coming to life. The sleeper awakens. I have witnessed his stirrings, felt the cold hellish blast cut to. And then from there, you cut to Professor Burak, Victor Wong, walking on campus and he's walking up to his class and he looks up to the sky uh, to look up at the sun. You know, it looks like there's like like an eclipse or something. Yeah, you know? where the the moon's getting closer, and he's kind of looking through yes. his fingers so he doesn't, you know, uh, blind himself. You know, he's kind of yeah. creating a little bit of a of whatever they're called obscuras or something. And um, yeah, so so and it's a cool thing that, that keeps happening during the course of this movie is that people look up at the sun. The 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 moon is kind of moving closer to it, so it's kind of heading towards an eclipse, even though it never happens. I like the fact that there's this ominous thing that's going on and then they always cut to as he's as he's looking up they cut down and see like you see these ants on the ground and stuff because uh, all the animals are just kind of going crazy there's all these little these little you know things that john carpenter just like little hints that he just sprinkles in and just makes it feel like something is coming and you just don't know what it is but we're on the precipice of something you know yeah and then when you say ants let's be also clear it's it's like th- hundreds of ants yeah. surrounding this tree where like 
it's it's a floor of ants mm-hmm. around this tree, which is very ominous. And you're like, yeah, what's going on with this? Apparently, Deborah Hill had this. The concept came to her in a dream for this movie. Yeah, and that's kind of where the the precipice for this idea came from. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. So yeah, apparently her dream was uh, uh, later on. It, it, the dream of she had was that somebody in a dark shape walking out of a of a of a church, and she woke up terrified. And uh, so that's where he built the story, kind of like around that. Yeah, I love that. That's and they cool. were an item for a while too. Yeah, so yeah. And she produced uh, uh, ha- uh, uh, Halloween, yada yada yada. Yeah, Escape from New York, yep. The Fog, blah 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 blah. Yep. Anyways, um, yeah. From there, you cut back to Donald Pleasance. I'm just going to refer to him as the priest from mm-hmm. now on. Uh, cut back to the priest at the mission, Santa Barbara Mission, which Corey mentioned, uh, with other priests, fellow priests. He's got the case in his hand, the silver case that was on the dead uh, father's belly i like how you don't hear them talking they're just you, you see them talking but you don't hear what it's about and that's what's cool like you don't need to you can fill it in you know that there's importance to it well yeah and I, and again i think this goes back to john carpenter assuming that his audience is intelligent yeah. enough to figure out what's going on you don't need this all this exposition to explain which can sometimes kill a movie. Uh, I can't think of any offhand, but you and I talk about this as far as like the world building world building is concerned. There's so much great world building in Carpenter films. You can just go they're They're ripe for expansion. Mm-hmm. This movie in particular, yeah. in my opinion, uh, anyways, opens it up the box to reveal a key from there. You cut back to Barack Barack with his students uh, at school. And he's in the middle of a lecture. And he's talking about um, beliefs and what we can learn from and what we can learn from beliefs that nature is solid and time is constant. Matter has substance and time has a direction. There's truth in flesh. I and love solid ground. I huh? love that line. I love there's <laughs> truth in flesh. It's so that's such a cool fucking line. Yeah. And it, it continues because it's really brilliant uh and and you feel like you are at a professor's lecture victor wong is so damn good Uh, and i love this yeah the the whole thing's great the whole monologue wind may be invisible but it's real smoke fire water light they're different not as to stone or steel but they're tangible we assume time has an arrow because it is a clock one second is one second for everyone Cause precedes effect. Fruit rots. Water flows downstream. We were born. We age. We die. The reverse never happens. None of this is truth. Say goodbye to classical reality because our logic collapses on the subatomic level into ghosts and shadows. My God. Fucking awesome. Dude, it's fucking awesome. And John Carpenter, dude, he is getting into some fucking heady shit with this movie, dude. dude. He, so, yeah. Because he, he, I know that the, the, the also besides Deborah Hill's uh, dream, his fascination with I, – because I, I think at the time, you got to remember at the time, I think – quantum mechanics was kind of uh, or quantum science and quantum physics were starting to like come out and people were starting to understand things about the subatomic area and you know like there were books about it and he admitted like he read a lot of them he was excited about it although he he also admits I I think he didn't understand a lot of it but he then became fascinated with like if we can see down into this minute level can we 
find the God or the devil in it, you know? And it's so fucking cool that he's tackling these subject matters. And yeah, we do find out, We and I know this because of movies like Ant-Man, that when you get down into the subatomic particle area, whatever, it, all the math, all the science goes out the window. It's crazy how that happens. Yes, and I only pause there because really this movie causes you to think about a lot of things. People dismiss it, again, with the shitty cover art. Honestly, let's be honest. It's shitty cover art. Mm -hmm. It really is. There's been some Mondo posters that have done amazing versions of this. I would love to see, um, you know, just I think posters had a big impact on people back in the day. It doesn't draw you in. No. No, it take doesn't. this movie. It, this movie is one of the, in my opinion, one of the smartest horror films I've ever seen, um, and and just feel you feel smarter watching it. You yeah, know, taking all this information. And so, and there's a moment in in a, in, a, in a couple scenes later that Phantasm actually talked about and did in their movie, uh, which was brilliant. And I was like, when they discussed this thing, these two characters, I'm like, holy shit, that's a Phantasm thing. They did that in Phantasm, and when you when you can let go of practical reality you know because there are some people that just can't right Mm -hmm. it's cut and dry a and b yeah uh and then there's also religious people who are cut and dry you know well that's god like that's it Mm -hmm. and then there's the people in the middle who are like well maybe it's a little bit of both you know that's kind of where maybe i don't know if i fall into that that's a whole other podcast uh where we talk about religion and i was even thinking about that too i'm like most likely we'll probably reserve our own thoughts about religion because there's so much to take in. But I just love that we have, again, going back to the Blu-ray, the ability to write all this shit down, like actually take in every single word mm-hmm. and and what his, his monologue was just brilliant. So good. Anyways, uh, back to the priest, you cut to the church, the, 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 the fifth character of the movie, really, if you think about it. Yeah, um, <laughs> good, the, good, good call. Good call, yeah. It, yep. it is. It is a character unto itself. And it, it, uh, this limo pulls up in front of this rundown church, and the priest gets out. Uh, he goes in to the church, and he takes the key that he found on the priest's belly, and he goes into a steel door, a very heavy steel door, uh, and then you cut back to Brian, Bri Bri, leaving school and seeing Catherine at a library. <laughs> I have um, Brian the mustache seems to be a bit of a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is stalker moment number two. Yeah. A, a little more severe <laughs> than the first one. Uh, he sees Catherine walk into like a bookstore or a library or something, and he decides to wait for her. And let's be honest, guys, back in the day, that's kind of all the opportunity you could have. You know, you're not going to like, I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? Right. Yeah. This is a really this is an interesting quandary for for single people. Uh, you see somebody, you're attracted to them. I mean, you could approach them. You know, she looked like she was on her way, so maybe you didn't want to interrupt what she was doing, and you want to get to know. Them. So, is there any harm in doing that? Not necessarily, but. Yeah. It is stalkerish too, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, and and into it back then, you know, there was no phone, which which we you know we talk about a lot a lot on movies like Three Fifteen or something, or or Savage Streets when there's like a character sort of waiting for like yeah. a while, and you're like, man, back then when you had to wait, you legit had to like wait, you had to like kick rocks, you know, and, yeah, and that's what did. he had to do. He just looks at the moon, you just kind of wait. I mean, I did. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I did that a lot back in the day. <laughs> I did too, buddy. I did too. 
I made you this tape while I was waiting for you. Anyways. Um, <laughs> and for me, it was drawing. I drew this picture of the back of your head because that's all I could see of you. Jesus. Yeah, I Jesus, I know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I love your reaction. You're like, oh my god, no! Yours is you're like yours is worse. Yours is much worse. <laughs> so from there, yeah, he waits all night. No, it's he waits what appears to be a, about an hour or so. I don't know. Uh, and she comes out with some dude with a glorious mullet. By the way, this guy is a glorious mullet, and it's so funny because he sees her walk off with this guy, all laughing and giggles. And he and he leaves. But when he leaves, his reaction is so hilarious because he looks so pissed off. He's like, well, fuck it. I didn't even want to talk to her anyways. You know, he does look kind of like yeah, angry like, stalker guy. Like sour grapes a little. <laughs> but let's be honest. We've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there. Hey, man. We've all been there. I'm not going to hold it against Brian the mustache. No, not at all. From there, you cut to the priest who I'm assuming now uh, perhaps could be in the church that uh, the old the rundown church. Uh, at this point, I think he's kind of holed up there. That's what I'm going to assume at this point. But yeah, he's writing he's, a letter. Yeah, I think he's there. He's writing a letter to Barack um, on like an old school typewriter. But it's cool. It's like it's almost like he got his thoughts down first and it's typing it out for him, which is really interesting. I did I not need, understand I that device at all. Was it a typewriter or was it a fax that he was sending but sounded like it was being typed through? It was really weird. It was it was like an automatic typewriter. Not a computer, mind you, but yeah. like an automatic typewriter. I don't even know what that is. If anyone can shed any light on that, please let us know because I'm I'm fascinated by that because yeah, it's like typing for him. It's, did he talk yeah. into it and then suddenly it types out? Yeah, how, how how did that happen? What is going on here? Literally, the biggest question I have in this entire movie is that typewriter thing. <laughs> well, that will be answered, I'm sure, by our fans, <laughs> our our fans slash friends, our friends. There um, you go. Uh, so this is the letter he wrote. And I'll do my terrible Donald Pleasance voice. Mm-hmm. I have discovered a most unusual phenomenon. Phenomenon. <laughs> might be in, might be interested. It, it is of the utmost urgency that we meet. <laughs> From there, you cut to class with Barack. And Barack is uh, doing a monologue. He's doing his lecture. And Brian is watching Catherine, stalkerish. And you're like, oh, they're in the same class. Why didn't he say something in class to her? Yeah. That is a little awkward. Yeah. He should have done that. And he's just like staring at her like a, a psycho. So, oh, you know what? Now, now Brian the mustache <laughs> starting to go down a little bit. Yeah. Stalker moment number three <laughs> amped up a little bit more. Yeah. They all amp up. Yes. And cut to Barack with his beautiful monologue lecture. Order exists in the universe. It's not at all what we had in mind. And then from there, you cut to, and I love that. It's like, let go of what you thought you knew because it's not what you had in mind. It's kind of a follow-up to what he was saying earlier. Yeah. From there, uh, you see a limo. Uh, Brian sees a limo pull up outside, and a nun walks up into Burak's office. Everyone's leaving the Burak's class at this point, and Brian is walking out with Walter, and they're kind of speculating why the nun is here. And uh, and then Brian says, oh, you know, Burak did a series of interviews with, with for the BBC with that English priest. And and Walter's like, oh, yeah, it was about the blah, 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 blah. Not, not super important, but that gives you a little backstory that they have a history together. Yeah, so like, like Burak, I think, is supposed to be like, uh, whenever there's a counterpoint 
to like a religious discussion, I think he is the guy that you go to when you ba- when you want to address God in a scientific manner. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I Me love too. that. So Me too. from there, the nun is talking to Burak and you cut from there. You cut to Burak at the, uh, the mission where he he's looking for the father, the priest. Donald Pleasance, and then the priest just shows up behind him, like, oh, hi, hello. <laughs> like, manifests out of nowhere. Uh, they're chatting, and the the priest reveals that the, the Father Carlton died before his appointment with the Cardinal. Uh, he gives the diary to Burak, and and then says, you must, you must help us, please. Please! <laughs> <laughs> I get the the benefit of also seeing your face. So when you did the the please, like I can see your face like contort. It's great. I love it. I love your Donald Pleasance, buddy. It's very good. Oh, thanks. I mean, I, I, I he doesn't do that obviously, but it but it's like a version of the Dalek from Doctor Who as well. <laughs> a shout out to Doctor Who old school style. Anyways, cut to Brian at his home, his apartment, which I. I'm assuming is, you know, near USC. It looks very familiar to me. Yeah, ju- judging by uh, later uh, an exterior shot of him when he's looking at the sun, that definitely looks like those that housing area that's all around USC. And if you guys don't know, if you don't live in L.A. or, or have never been to USC, USC is this beautiful, beautiful campus that is right in the middle of, like, South Central L.A. It is, all around it is very bad. Very, oh, so- very bad. Yeah. So bad that like bullets, there was a time when bullets would fly onto campus. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, USC is, is is in a very interesting location. And then when Brian is kind of standing on his front porch area, that is totally like what those houses in that area look like. So you get a lot of like low income housing, and then you know college kids living in a house. It's a very interesting area. That's right. Yep. Uh, Brian's at home playing solitaire. <laughs> Oh, okay. poor Again, Brian. And then that goes back to 315 and every talk about that. It's like, guys, gals, back before the internet, back before smartphones, you had to find some shit to do, you know? Yeah, dude. Right? You can, and, and this is, you know, not, not not everyone owned an Atari 2600. Right? Yeah, um, exactly. He's, he's playing solitaire and he sees a report on TV and turns the volume up. It's about a supernova. Particles from a supernova that date back to the pre-Cambrian times before men walked on Earth uh, are approaching Earth now. Yeah, the particle, yeah. So is there a connection between the supernova and, uh, you know, what's going on with the Prince of Darkness and whatnot? I assume they're probably supposed to be, maybe? I think so. Um, I mean, it's not outright, but... You know, I'm I'm spoiling a little bit. If there's locks on the inside of this cylinder, so he's able to access it, right? Yeah. There comes a time when maybe, like, maybe when this supernova comes full circle, that's when his time is to be released, right. perhaps. Yeah. And, that's what I'm assuming. And that could have been, like, some sort of prophecy that was written, you know, before, but we were not privy to it. But, you know, because John Carpenter is writing this and directing it and he knows it, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, yeah, you know, the old the old proverb is once the supernova explodes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and but, you know, that's lost to time, but the event is still applicable. You know, e- even if the prophecy is lost, the outcome is still there. Totally, totally. Um, 
And not only is this going down, but on his TV, he doesn't notice this, but all those ants that we described earlier, hundreds of ants, are on his television as well. Yeah. Which is really disturbing. Yep. Um, Or like on the back of it, so he can't see it. They're like in the back area where the vents are. Yeah, we're talking old school. Old school TVs, which were the, you know. Yeah. It's a old t- school TVs. This is a tube TV, guys. Yeah, tube, yeah. <laughs> you remember the old days? This ain't no, this ain't no LG plasma <laughs> that he got. <laughs> this is the tube TV right here. From there, um, now you're cut back to the priest and Barak at the church, the the main church, the site of where all this is going to go down. And they go inside, and uh, and the priest Donald Pleasance reveals that uh, the priest that who had just died, he was the guardian priest. And he was at this church for over 30 years. Uh, he takes Barak in through a door, the, the main door that he, uh, he unlocked earlier, and they go down into the cellar. And he says the cellar was built in the 1500s, uh, arranged by the Spanish government, and o- only the Brotherhood of Sleep knew about it, taking a vow of silence. The Vatican didn't know about it. Uh, the sect had enormous power and abundance. Actions were never questioned. This brotherhood was passed down from one generation to another, essentially. And as he's telling him all this, they enter uh, this room. So they go down this like long, long spiral staircase into down down this long corridor into this huge room. There's crosses everywhere. There's candles lit. I remember watching this years ago with somebody, uh, an ex girlfriend. She's like, "Oh my god, this is stupid! All the candles are lit." I'm like, "Yeah." The guy was in charge of lighting the fucking candles every yeah, day. Like, and now that's what Donald Pleasance probably did when he went down there. You know, yeah. that's part, it's part of the part of the program. Well, well, I mean, we're over the set design down there is awesome. I love it's beautiful the way it looks with all the crosses on the walls and everything. But yeah, I got no problem with that because if you're just guarding this thing and it's not doing anything, well, what else are you going to do for 24 hours a day? You know, light candles, light some yeah. fucking candles, what you're going to do. <laughs> And there and there's there's you know hundreds of crucifixes all around it. So you have to p- picture this is the basement of this church, but it looks like a warehouse almost the size of it. Yeah, it's, it's huge. just a huge basement, gigantic, like uh, twelve foot tall ceilings. You know, it's it's gigantic. It's, it seems like it seems like it's it's open like it's the the size of the building, like it's the in- entirety of the building above it, you know, yes. uh, size wise. So it's, it's really big with in like wide open, but just full of yeah candles and, and crosses and stuff like that. And it's really cool. It's really cool. And then the, the, you know, the thing, the Prince the, of the, darkness, the peace de resistance yeah. in the middle of the, uh, in, in the main hall of this cellar is this weird green container uh, with something in this container with something green inside that's swirling around um, and it's covered in the, you know, wax and ooze on the outside and they're both looking at it. Burak, Bur- it looks like he's going to shit himself looking at it. Uh, they turn while they're looking at it and there's a book next to them. Uh, it's an old ancient book written. And then Burak says, is it written in Latin? And the priest says, uh, it's Coptic. It's uh, it's older than Latin. Um, it's older, older, older than Greek. Uh, there's numbers. There's uh, text distorted. Uh, re, it's been rewritten time and time again. And the whole time the priest is telling him this, Barak's watching the thing and says, you know, what is it? And the priest says, 
a secret that can no longer be kept. <laughs> and then suddenly, they both kind of shudder. And uh, the priest says, did you feel it? Some, something in the room. Some, something just entered the room. The room. And he says, it started a month ago in the earth and sky. His power. From there, you cut to Walter with Catherine. They're outside of the uh, classroom. And Walter and Catherine, this is the moment where I'm like, oh, it's a phantasm moment. They're discussing uh, the sense and common sense like a cat in the box experiment when uh, the cat doesn't actually, it's not re if, if someone tells you there's a cat in a box, the cat does not become really the reality of it until you actually open the box and you see it. Yeah. Common yeah, Sh- sense. Yeah. Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat is like this. Yeah. It's like a physics thing where, where yeah. the cat is neither alive nor dead in the box until you witness it. And that's what basically creates it into reality. And the, and, and it's kind of like more of a, I think it was always supposed to at the beginning be like a thought exercise. Neither of us are, are, are physics people. So just, yeah, if we're wrong about that, just, just <laughs> it, bear with us. But I think just like recently, like within like the last 10 years or something, we've actually been able to study, by we I mean scientists, uh, that yes, uh, uh, particles and stuff, uh, photons and stuff like that actually behave differently when viewed. Like, why Why would that be the case? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would things, like, have any connection to, like, being viewed? So, yeah. which kind of uh, makes Schrodinger's cat almost, like, very plausible. Like, you put a cat in a box, it's neither alive nor dead until you view it. It technically, it doesn't exist until you view it. That, I, this movie, Car- John Carpenter is dealing with some heavy, heavy heavy theories and and ideas here yeah i love that because uh catherine says you know common sense breaks down on a subatomic level it's not reality until you see it yeah i love that Mm -hmm. it's it's so awesome from there you cut to (laughs) well real quick real quick i will say i do love how walter's like man why why am i even doing this again you know like why am i doing and then then she's like you know uh you know particle lasers and stuff he's like oh yeah i'll be rich by the time i'm 40 so it's it's interesting that like you know, this is this is eight. You know, this is the eighties. This is the middle of the eighties. This is you know, uh, uh, Wall Street, corporate America. Everything is capitalism, right? This is Reaganomics and everything. So, like, the funny thing is, is like Walter is doing this so that he can become essentially, you know, like a freaking, uh, you know, somebody like a, a Tony Stark, essentially, you know, someone who creates weapons for the military so he can be fucking rich. Yeah, or an Elon Musk. Yeah, basically, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> His motivation is interesting. From there, you cut to the students at class. They're they're and there's a note on the on the classroom door. They're all outside the classroom, and uh, and the note's basically summoning them for the weekend, uh, along with someone to tra- tra- translate Latin. This is important to point out. So there's four of them, uh, five of them in this at, at meeting at the classroom. There's Walter and Catherine and Brian. And then there's Mullins, and who's the bald guy, and uh, from from Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> I think at this point Kelly. we should just call him Dirk Blocker. Yeah, Dirk Blocker, and uh, and Kelly, who you know she's like very nice and sweet. She seems like the oldest one in the group. She's kind of the mother of the group, the, the blonde um, one. And she's it's interesting that she's not that assuming as a character in this. She's almost like a, a you know kind of to the side and everything, but then she becomes real fucking important. 
She does. And and I and I might as well just say it now. Uh, I think one of the reasons I love this movie is the cast has so many. I meant to say this earlier when we were breaking down the cast. So many relatively unknown people, mm-hmm. and and also not hardly any leading people in this film. And I love that. I love that. It reminds me of the, what he did in the thing, mm-hmm. uh, but almost like on a bigger scale because it, it, it's just in a in a more lesser known scale. And and that's what I love even more because it's it feels so much more tangible to me. Like I can relate to any one of these people now. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Way. It's it's much more of an ensemble than you see a lot of other movies. And but that's he seems to kind of like that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. But obviously, like you know, then you go into a movie like They Live, and it has a very strong uh, leading you know character. But some of his movies that I actually like the most are the ones that are more of an ensemble cast, like this one. And I wish they would do it more often. And I wish they would make it less obvious who's going to be the one to live at the end because this you didn't didn't know what's going to happen really when you first saw this movie back in 87 yeah or if you haven't seen it now because some people have actually we do have some fans who listen to this and they're like i never saw that movie so for those of you that haven't seen it anyways uh yeah so they're they're outside the classroom and can I wait? All... I, I'm I, I do, I'm sorry to cut you off real quick and okay. roll it back. You know, once I'm done talking, um, I also like the fact that none of the characters in this movie are stupid. They don't do no. any stupid things like go off and follow a noise into the basement or whatever. They're all scientists. They do scientist things and. I think that should be noted. I think it, there's no dumb character in this movie, and I love that about it. Yeah, they're all super smart. Yeah. No no one dies that stupid death where you're like, oh, come on. You yeah. could have seen that a mile away. Exactly. Yeah. So Walter's pissed because, uh, you know, he had plans that weekend and he had plans for the weekend. Uh, Kelly and Mullins walk off. And you, so those three walk off and then you're left with Brian and Catherine and they introduce each other. And I'm like, how long has this class been going on? Maybe this class actually just started. Let's 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 give them the benefit of the, of the doubt. Let's say this class is maybe only a week in. Okay. They uh, they introduce each other and they're kind of flirting back and forth, uh, and they walk off. And as they're walking off from class, Brian reveals that he transferred from Neil Theoretical Physics uh, School, and Catherine uh, is comes from Applied Physics. And they kind of discuss why they're both in Barack's class and Brian's flirting with her. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, he's like, says something like, you know, everybody's wondering why uh, someone like who looks like you is, is on this side of the, uh, of the uh, campus. Yeah. Or the campus. Like yeah. And, and, and he's like, while he's doing that, um, He's he's like playing with his cards. He's you know, and and she gets upset. She's like, well, that's extremely sexist, and and gets super pissed off. And now she's all turned off. And yeah. he apologizes, and he's like, look, you know, I want to make it up to you. And he's still doing his little magic trick, and like he's like trying to flip this card, and you're not sure what he's doing. This is going to come back into play later yeah. on. He's flipping this card, but every time he does it, it just kind of flips around. He's it's you get the sense that it's not doing what he wants it to do. Right. And and I like this little conversation, you know, it's he says she says like, Oh, that's sexist he's like confirmed sexist and proud of it and she kind of gets turned off a little bit and he's like, What happened? She's like, Oh, you know, sorry, like a miscue and I Wait. you know, and I like that you never really 
learn what sort of like her history she you can tell that she's got something there that she like that's keeping her or keeping brian at bay at first and you don't really know what it is but it's cool it's a character thing and you just you don't know what it is although other than it wasn't really that smooth saying that you're a sexist to a woman when you're trying to like get to know her <laughs> confirm sexist yeah. proud of it. yeah yeah and i love when he's like you know you talk numbers you get romantic you talk people and you clam up yeah you know and yeah that's when she's like it's just a miscue and he's like well that's not what this is not this conversation is not what I had in mind. And uh, so know, it sounds like, to me like Brian's a bit of a control freak, buddy. Not all conversations <laughs> are what uh, <laughs> how you want them to be, you know? Yeah, <laughs> totally do. And then he says, you know, uh, you know, I'd love to uh, have dinner with you or, 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 or something. And she goes, well, there are some other things that I do need help with. From there, uh, you cut back to Burak in his office. I get the sense that they were all waiting outside for Burak to show up. Then he shows up Mm -hmm. because it's like the same day, I think. And uh, so Mullins, Kelly, Walter, Brian, and Catherine are in Burak's office. And he talks about how he offered their services to the archdiocese. And, you know, he's, he's like, I really need your help for this. And this will greatly improve your classroom average if you do help me. Yeah. Um, plan to bring your meals and sleep on cots. Other departments will join us as well. And Brian says, you know, any reason why you are not telling us what we're doing? And Barack just looks at him and says, in time. And yeah. I love that. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. sure. So from there. And this kind of almost, in a way, kind of sometimes fulfills... The trope that I like, which is the aliens trope, which is you lose contact with a base, send in a team of professionals to go and and figure it out. Here, you don't have the whole like losing the contact part, but you do have the the idea of sending the professionals in to figure it out, and then they get picked off sort of one by one. I just I kind of like that that setup. Yeah, me too. It makes me wonder like if you went a different direction and and the priest lived long enough to appoint another person brotherhood of sleep what would have happened next right yeah you know totally different burak is at the church uh and he sees as he's going into the church he sees a homeless person nearby uh homeless kind of bag lady she'll come back into play in a little bot in a little while she had ants Uh, on her face by the way yeah she's bowing at the sun she's like doing this weird bowing thing at the sun and then they close up on her face and she's got those ants on her face again um, which is very disgusting. Yes. Anyways, you cut back to Barack is now in um, the priest's office, and they're debating. Uh, and and the priest goes, uh, "It's your disbelief that powers him. Stubborn faith and common sense allows his deceptions. He lives on in the atoms, invisible. He lives on in all of it." <laughs> you must translate this book and prove it scientifically and convince the outside world. And Barack, Barack says, outside world doesn't want to hear this kind of bullshit. <laughs> so so basically the priest, Donald Pleasance, he, he is he moving at this point to expose it? Like I, I, he's not moving against the church, but he's bringing these people in to kind of, I guess, validate it and then push the information outwards. I, I was just curious as to what what is the is how much of it is the church behind it telling him what to do versus how much is he kind of doing on his own by bringing these people in. 
I think he's doing it as a, on his own because right after that, he he says no prison can hold him now in the sense like whatever's in this thing that him is leaking or it's going it's going to get out and they're going to need more help than what they have because obviously that's they need more they need more support than what they had up to this point yeah that's the i get the sense that he's doing it on his own independently actually yeah i think so yeah i think he's pretty high up in like that way. like we gotta we gotta do something now whether the the archdiocese or whatever you know believes us or not we gotta do something because shit's happening exactly okay yeah. From there, you cut back to school, and Catherine's leaving uh, her class, and Brian's outside waiting for her, stalker, stalker boy. Stalker boy gets good, though, because he wants to have coffee with her, dot, 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 and it leads to them in bed <laughs> yeah, the next day. Great. Smash cut right to uh, them in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At, at Bri Bri's, and uh, Brian's all happy. He looks over. She's still asleep, and he rolls over and looks at her, and uh, he's got a big old fucking shit-eating grin on his face, as he should. Of course. You go, Brian. And Brian gets up. Uh, he walks outside in a in a style I sported for many many a time. Uh, opened the he's got his hoodie on with his no shirt underneath. Open <laughs> yeah. shirtless with his six pack abs. I would too if I had abs like Hell that. Yeah, God dude. Damn. Fucking that dude's chiseled, man. Go for it, dude. Go for <laughs> right? it. So he walks outside and he's looking up at the sun and the sun's looking all weird. He walks back in. He puts big old cup of coffee right in Catherine's face when she wakes up. Here, Here I bitch, love you. take this. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to kiss her, and she she kind of looks like looks a little uncomfortable. Like, what am I doing here? Um, and sh- and she says, "We didn't get much sleep last night." And he's like, "Who needs sleep?" And she's like, "Well, we do. Today's Friday, you know, the day they're going to to the church." And uh, and Brian's like, "Can I tell you something?" <laughs> <laughs> And, oh, she's, and she goes, please don't. Please, God, don't. Please, just don't. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she looks totally annoyed. And she's like, tell me tomorrow or the next day or the day after that if, or two years from now. And Brian's like, who was he? Who's, who's that guy who gave you such a high opinion of men? And she goes, I wouldn't like it if either of us jumped to conclusions. And he goes, how do, how do you know what I was going to say? And no, he goes, how how'd you know I was going to say what I, what you think I was going to say? And she goes, because if you don't, I don't want to know. And they fuck, <laughs> they go back. They, they probably boff each other. Of course. Apparently that's a line from an old, um, noir film. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the reverse. With, it was like a reverse sexes. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, it was the other way around the, I think the lady said it to the guy. So it's kind of like reversed. It works. I love it. Because let's be honest, guys and gals, we've all dated damaged people. Yeah. And we've all been in that boat where we felt like we loved them and we wanted to say that to them or say, you know, I'm crazy about you or, my God, I'm so happy right now. And they give you that look like the minute you say that to them, suddenly they don't want to be with you anymore. That's right. And they dump you. And you're like, why? I just have love to give. I just want to give you love. Like how damaged must that person be? For the person that clearly they're into, suddenly you say that, like, well, I'm crazy about you. And they're like, ah, game over. <laughs> what the fuck? That's some damaged shit, in my opinion. That is some damaged shit. That's another watch list we'll probably do down the road. <laughs> <laughs> a watch list of our most damaged ladies we've dated. <laughs> Dude, I did that with uh, with Terry, my boy Terry, 
one night after he broke up with a girl and, and we went to this place called the blue chalk in Palo Alto. And, uh, and we just made a list. We went down our list of like the girlfriends in our lives. <laughs> what <laughs> happened? It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Uh, I highly recommend I'm that. sure. <laughs> so cathartic. He had a lot more than me, but I'll let Terry talk about that. If you ever, <laughs> Oh, Terry. I love guest. Terry, man. Great guy. Great guy. <laughs> Terry on the town. Anyways. Um, Back from there, you come back to the the church and in the alleyway of the church. And that's like across the street from the church. There's an alley. And in the alley, Alice Cooper is in in front with his ghastly white face. And there's other street walkers all looking up at the sun across from the church. Can I just say that I have a pet peeve of, you know, you make him look ghastly white put some makeup on his hands or give him gloves or something because his his hands are so normally tan, you know, that I'm just like, ah, and and I got to be honest with you as much as I love this movie and I do T to B, he is the only thing for me where I'm like, I don't need him in the movie. I I didn't need him. I would have rather they gone with someone unknown than, than Alice Cooper. It kind of takes a little bit away from me. Personally. I, I can I can get that because I also assume that you probably were more familiar with Alice Alice Cooper's music as a kid than I was. So when I see him now, I'm like, oh, I know it's Alice Cooper, but Alice Cooper to me has never really been that big of a deal. You know, I don't think I've ever heard a single song of his. Just didn't, I, never, never really heard schools cared. out schools out full. Okay, all right. Well, I know that song. Yep, I know that song. Didn't know it was him. Fine, I know okay. that song. But still, I'm just not. I was never a big Alice Cooper fan. So when I see it, it doesn't really take me out of it. But I can completely understand why it would. Yeah, I, I mean, I was a huge Alice Cooper fan. I the movie Shocker came out soon after this, the Wes Craven movie, mm-hmm. and he had a song, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, that's him too? No More yeah. Mr. Clee. Oh, I like and, that and, song too. You know what? Yeah, Maybe I like Alice Cooper. Who I knows? think he would. I think, you know, and, and he was he was Rob Zombie before Rob Zombie. Like, he was the stage yeah. guy. And, and I was a big uh, Rob Zombie fan and a big white zombie fan growing up as a kid. Yeah, me too. Directing, not so much. Yeah. But um <laughs> directing you know, is hit or miss. Yeah, but uh but but definitely, yeah. And so Alice Alice Cooper was a very like it, it, check out his appearance on the Muppets was brilliant. <laughs> um his old music videos are hilarious. He's such such a tongue in cheek horror guy. So yeah, it took a little bit away because it was such an okay. obvious when the rest of the cast is relatively relatively unknown. Yeah. And you can relate on that level to throw such a known person to me personally. I was like, yeah, but yeah. other than that, I no get complaints. It. I get it. Um, from there, the the crew's loading up and they're loading in. Vans pull up where you know Kelly and Catherine and Susan, uh, Susan, you know, radiologist glasses, and Lisa, <laughs> who is uh, uh, an Asian. Well, did anyone tell you, you could pass for Asian? Yeah, uh, that, <laughs> just some racist, semi-racist lines, but it comes from a Chinese guy, so maybe it's not so racist. Yep. Uh, my my who, note here for uh, everyone arriving at the church: I said hyphen shoulder pads and '80s hair. <laughs> shoulder pads, '80s hair. The women show up first, uh, and you see the homeless like kind of leering at them. And yeah, everyone's bringing in all their equipment. Um, the the four ladies Kelly, Catherine, Susan, radiologist glasses, Lisa, uh, they go into like the cot room, and uh, Susan 
is revealing that the church was nice at one point, and then it closed down for some for some unknown reason. Then from there, you cut to Peter Jason showing up. Babcock baby. Babcock baby. And, the, and you have to get a sense, too, this is a multi-level church. So um, like the main room, where like the meeting room, is like I think on the upper level of this church. It's like the second level. I think everyone – yeah, the, the main – Floor downstairs, second level is that meeting area, uh, like common area, and then third level I think is the like um, the rooms to, for you to stay in the yes. housing, I guess. Yes. Um, Professor Leahy arrives, Peter Jason, and he's looking for Burak, and uh, and it's it's funny because he's like he he they're like oh he's around here somewhere, and he's like oh well where and he's just kind of like spaced out like well what. what where am I supposed to go? Like who's Burak, you know, I'm looking for a professor Burak. Who is he? And apparently that was unscripted for him to kind of be left hanging like that. (laughs) So his, his befuddlement is genuine, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really hilarious from there. Yeah. All the computer equipment's being loaded in and Oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Burak, he sees Burak's the one he's talking to and Burak's like, Oh, well, you know, we're all getting set up right now. We're going to all going to meet in the, in the control lab. And, and that's when Burak leaves. Yeah, and like he, he's he, like, he walks what are away. we and, yeah, doing and, here? Yeah, and that's when he, yeah, the, the actor. Uh, uh, J- Peter G- Jason. Peter Jason. Um, yeah. He didn't know that he was going to walk away. And that's when, yeah, he has this look on his face. And I, so I, I learned that after you know the first viewing so i watched it again and saw oh, i was like that's yeah, great i love peter jason bro he's great he's fucking he's so great. good he's, he's so, so good, good. we'll have to get him on the show too I, at some point i hope so i hope so and he's you know a what? genre veteran and if we do i'm gonna give him a babcock and finch shirt <laughs> yeah you better <laughs> it'll there... be the only one we sell <laughs> <laughs> you know how okay for those of you that don't know if you have a, a t public site um whenever you make a purchase and if you want to, that'd be great for the holiday season. Uh, if you make a purchase on the T Public site, it, it goes to our our pad account to let us know that you've got a sale yeah. or whatever, and it'll tell you what the person bought. And you know, obviously, obviously, it's most of the time it's the cool pad T shirts yeah. that people buy, Babcock and Finch, crickets, <laughs> crickets. crickets. <laughs> but I, I still think it's dope. I do I'll too. buy it at some point too. I know. I, I know. I, the funny thing is, I don't have it either. So, like, at some point, <laughs> we're, I, at some point, I just I'm going to own all of them. It's just, well, it's expensive to buy a bunch of t-shirts, but it's expensive to buy a bunch of t-shirts that you created. <laughs> it is. Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. October 31st, 1981. It's the night of the party at Jerry's Arcade. It's the night all the kids have been waiting for. It's the night they have been waiting for. There's a new game at the arcade. It's Killer. Polybius. From David Irons, the writer of Night Waves, the real terror begins. Polybius. Available now from Severed Press. And now, back to the show. From there, we cut to uh, another lab where uh, Etchinson, our, our boy from uh, Riptide, and uh, I mean, Wyndham. 
He looks like got, he looks like the quintessential nerd. Eccleson, Eccleson, Etchinson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Etchinson is he's got that perfect nerd look down, yeah. but he's kind of like a cool nerd. Yeah, yeah, know, no, he's, about him. yeah. He's not. Yeah, he's not like a. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a bit of a coolness to him. Um, uh, uh, Frank was it Frankie? Frank Frank Win- Frank Windham. Windham. Frank Windham, who looks like uh, Mike from Mike and the Mechanics. The, yeah, uh, <laughs> he does. He does, and he's got All a big fucking a head too. By the way, yeah. Yeah, he's got a big head, and he's kind of a cocky dude. Like he's just annoying. He he's he's kind of complaining that Etchinson Etchinson saying that he has to cover for Leahy, so he's leaving early tonight, Professor Leahy. Uh, and Frank's like, "Well, I wish I could go too." And then Susan walks in uh, to bring in some equipment, and you, you, you know Su- Susan, radiology uh, glasses, glasses. <laughs> And uh, she leaves. Well, because both of them are like, hi. You know, Frank's like, hi, Susan. Well, because like, it seems like hi. Frank knew her, right? Like, it kind of, yeah, you got her. the sense, yeah. That, so we know that, like, the characters we started with, we know they're all relation, all their relationships. Um, unfortunately, I, I, I wish we knew of the people they added, I wish we knew sort of who knew who. You know, well, do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I get the sense that. Leahy brought in Etchinson. Right. Uh, and then Wyndham and, and, and Susan. Are, so they're and, from radiology, I guess, right? And Lisa. Le- okay, are, Lisa's with them? They're together, okay. the three of them, okay. I think. And um, then uh, uh, is it Carter, Car- Carlton, Carter? Um, uh, Caldwell. Caldwell. And he's, yes. he's bio- I think he's biology, right? A biologist? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Calder. Sorry, Calder. Calder, okay. Calder. And okay, so it's funny because uh, yeah, Susan leaves. It's very awkward, and Etchinson's kind of all up in her face. Or Fra- Frank's, Frank's all like, up in her face, yeah. Frank, yeah, Frank's in her face too, and, and he goes, "Susan, radiology, married." And then <laughs> Etchinson's like, "Well, how married?" I hate that shit, dude. It's I know like, you, you scumbag. You scumbag. Anyways, uh, Leahy walks in, and Etchinson's like, well, "What? Well, what are we doing? What are we testing?" And Leahy's like, "I don't know." And then. Etchison's like, well, compounds, basic structures. And Leahy's like, look, when I know, you'll know. And Leahy leaves and Frank Wyndham goes, science marches on. Like, <laughs> dude, just shut up. You're, you're, you're with your Mike and the Mechanics haircut. Anyways, uh, from there, you cut back to you, you cut to Kelly with Catherine. Uh, Catherine's setting up in her office, uh, her computer set up. And she asks if she needs any help. And... That's kind of end of that story. And from there, uh, Walter's getting set up. He tells Brian he's pissed because he had a date with a trial attorney from Century City. Yeah. And and then Brian goes, well, where are you taking him? And then Walter goes, please, this isn't funny. Did, like, did he say, you, were you taking him? Is that what he yeah, said? Yeah, were you taking him? I yeah. missed that. I didn't even hear. Oh, I know. And I, for years, I'm like, I never got the joke. Why? Where you, were you taking? Oh, where are you taking him? Oh, it's a homophobic joke. Oh, oh. I, did, I didn't even hear that, honestly. This <laughs> is the 80s, so they could do that. I mean, yeah, yes, it is the 80s, but at the exact same time. Busting balls. Uh, the, uh, even in 2020, I would say that to like a friend. Sure. Where yeah, are you taking him? It's, 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 a, it's a good one. It's an easy one that's it's it's a low-hanging fruit but it's classic yeah it's funny it's funny anyways while they're having this little exchange back and forth uh brian's looking out the window of the church 
and he's watching all this, the streetwalkers watching him. That's cool. It's a cool visual. Them just all standing there, staring at the at the church. And and where Brian and Walter are at this point, they're like in the main hall, the base of uh, the second level of the stairs. And right when the stairs come up, they're kind of at that level area before you walk into the main meeting room. And Calder and Lomax, who's another character, they show up together. And Frank walks in too, and they all kind of introduce themselves. And uh, and then Frank's like, "Does anyone know what's going on here?" From there, you cut to Lisa, uh, who's the translator. She's in another lab room, office room with Barack, and she's like very. She comes across snooty at this yeah. point, just the way she talks, because she's like, "I'm getting my doctorate in theology, analysis of ancient scriptures. This shouldn't be too difficult." Except for numbers on computer. Mm. Yeah. Like, she's I don't know, so just like kind of arrogance about her. Yeah, because even when Walter's just messing with her, like she has no sense of humor. Zero. Zero. Anyways, she starts translating this book that they found next to the tank, uh, the, the big cylinder in the basement. And she starts translating, says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you this thing which shall be unleashed. Cut from there. Homeless people watching outside, streetwalkers. Um, and the priest who, at this point, wasn't in the church, he's now showing back up again. And he's walking up to the church. Uh, he turns and looks at the sun, and like everyone else does. And then he turns around to go back into the church, and he walks right into the homeless bag lady who was staring at the sun earlier with the ants on her face. And she starts talking, and her voice gets distorted. I it's love so that. wonderful what you're doing, Father, opening up the church again. It gets all distorted, and and she's like rubbing her f- hand, her face against his hands, and she's got a cup in her hand while she's doing this. And like he looks down at, at the cup, and inside the cup are what are supposed to be maggots. They're not maggots, by the way. They're actually kingworms. Okay. Are they called kingworms? Because um, I feed them to our bearded dragon lizard. They're uh, they're they're called waxworms. They're like, you know, like mealyworms. Yeah. But I think they're supposed to be maggots, and it looks like shit. I'm assuming it's shit in a cup. Yeah. Maybe her, her shit cup. Uh, and it's so funny because after that happens, you cut to the priest in the church and he's like looking disgusted, <laughs> yeah. wiping his hands off. Yeah. I love I love his reaction. But I also, yeah, dude, I love that that weird. It's it's not as overt as you sort of think it is. It, it's kind of a little subtle. But when she's like your father, it's like the voice just slows down just a little bit like just a tape a recorder. Hair. It's like it's yeah. like when a tape recorder is running out of batteries, like an old Teddy Ruxpin is running out of batteries. And when it tries to talk, it has that low octave voice. It, it's just this movie is chock full of fantastic, subtle, creepy you know, images and auditory things. Yeah, very subtle, and that's what I love. No, yep. Yet another reason why I love it so much. Yep. From there, uh, yeah, Barack, Barack greets the priest once they once he gets inside the church. The entire team ventures into the cellar to see it, the thing, and uh, the priest says he's gaining strength. <laughs> gaining strength. Cut back to Lisa, who's translating the text. This is what she translates. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, an abomination of the earth. 
cut back to Catherine, who's translating as well. She's translating formulas that they uh, that they've decoded as well. Yeah. So what is she doing? That's what I couldn't quite understand. There's there's math in the um, book as well, I guess, and it's it, there, it's it's an yeah. equation. Eventually, we'll get to the fact that it's an equation. So. There are numbers in the book, too, I guess, right? And I know yeah, they so, say that yeah. earlier. Yeah, so she's, like, translating the numbers. Lisa's translating the text. Okay. Uh, and then, like, Susan is essentially taking x-rays of this thing and and analyzing the metal right. uh, and the carbon, right? She's, yeah, Super she's carbon cool. dating it, yeah. Yeah. So from there, uh, Calder enters the room where Etchinson is, from earlier because mm-hmm. he's been in the lab the entire time and Etchinson's like what's going on out there and Calder is like totally freaked out and Frank walks in and Calder is like he's looking like he's seen a ghost the way he's touching himself and he's like touching his neck and his chest and he's just really freaked out and Frank's like Frank's looking at Calder Frank looks at Etchinson who's looking at Calder and Frank's like I hate to tell you guys this but it's <laughs> I hate to tell you guys but this is real bullshit <laughs> yeah yeah, it, it's and it's dude, you suck. And it's cool that like Calder, you can just tell that this has just rocked his world. And then Frank uh, Wyndham is just kind of like, eh, whatever, I don't give a shit. It's it's I like that. I like how people react differently to it, you know. And I almost wish you know we could have even gotten more into these characters' heads and what they were thinking and and how this, I mean, massive massive revelation you know affects them and and there's even more massive revelations like like coming you know so i yeah. i the the only thing i feel like and it's it's not lacking it's not any kind of critique i just i i wish that we got even more into the heads of these characters into how all of this information affects them because calder it clearly affects him profoundly well and let's let's also do this whole kind of sequence justice there's a lot of explanation going on in a in a short period of time a lot of explanation a lot like you said earlier a lot of heavy duty concepts being covered so i almost feel like he was trying to keep it as tight as possible that's my sense yeah um because even the scene where they're all down there together looking at the tank it's very short but you got to put yourself in these scientist shoes where all they believed is everything factual. And they're looking at this thing that they don't know what it is, but all they know is it's really fucking old and it's moving whatever is inside it, moving around, swirling around. And it must be, yeah, terrifying the majority of them. Yeah. But you cut back to the green tank after the, this is, I got to tell you this, but this is, tell you guys, this is real bullshit. (laughs) You cut back to the cellar where Walter and Kelly are still looking at the tank and Kelly's like, you know, I wonder why, why is no one ever, why has no one opened it yet? Very naive. Like I will say out of all the scientists, she's the one who's like, you are kind of the, 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 the dimmest one out of the group a little bit, you know, a little, just a, like a little too, well, come, what's the big deal guys? Yeah. You know, also of... talking in reference to her bruise later on. You're like, yeah, yeah. You know I'm saying she almost felt like ditzy, but clearly she's smart because she's a freaking like physicist, you know. So yeah, yeah, it was interesting. She does have this naivety. Na- I'm sure it was intentional in yeah. some way, but yeah. Uh, anyways, from there, 
you cut to uh, Burak with Catherine, and they're looking at Catherine's computer screen, and she's deciphering differential equations from a from the book that was written over two thousand years ago. Oh, is this when uh, Walter says they've just now discovered differential equations? So, like the fact that it Wait. was written. It's crazy. Two thousand years. Yeah, ago. they're they're in the room with the, her, and and yeah, Walter's like, he's like, wait, 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 we we hadn't even invented differential equations until, and and then Brian's like, right. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, how do we have this information before we wait? What's going on here, right? Yeah. I, I and, uh, and by the way, I haven't really said it yet, but like, I love ancient alien shit. So like all of this is so up my alley. You have no idea, you know, and and it's, it's it's insane that it took me so long to find it because even if this wasn't a horror movie, I would still love it. Like everything they're talking about and everything they're dealing with is, is just, is, I feel like it's it's all for me. It was written so for me, you know, it's just a shame that I didn't discover this until I was like 35 years old. I mean, this kind of plugs into Horror Express a little bit, like the yeah. idea of like this this shit came down otherworldly, you know. Well, and the thing, I mean, clearly, and the thing clearly, too. Yeah. John yeah. Carpenter loves this shit. I mean, he has you know, uh, uh, um, Chariots of the Gods mentioned, you know, uh, in. Yeah. And, and the thing and everything. So I, I obviously John Carpenter was always sort of he was he was into ancient aliens before History Channel even existed, you know, <laughs> as as he should be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because he's a fucking king. But um, and I have to clarify, too, that, yeah, Catherine's upstairs deciphering, but Barack's downstairs with Walter and Brian and Kelly. And they're like looking at the monitors down there. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's being fed. Yeah, he, like Brian brings it up essentially. He's like, yeah, Kelly, look at this. Kelly's entering the numbers upstairs, you know? Yes. And, and yeah. this is when um, uh, I think, um, what's her name? Uh, bumps Kelly. In, uh, Kelly bumps into that thing and I gets the bruise or whatever. Yeah, because as they're talking, Kelly's kind of backing up, and she does, starts to look a little freaked out yeah. at this point. And, you know, there's monitors all – so you have to understand, like, there's, like, EKG uh, reading things and and, and the, the, the the thing that analyzes movement, like the seismologist yeah. equipment, you know. that this All this shit's hooked up to the thing, the, the, the cylinder, and there's wires running all the way up into the – second or third floor of this uh, church right? yeah it's, it's like and a so, hodgepodge of like machinery like nothing's no, nothing's there like in a place that it's supposed to be it's all just haphazardly put around because they brought all of the the scientific stuff in it's it's yeah. it's cool looking i like i like it i like the way it looks i love it too it's all being analyzed and so so kelly's starting to back up and she accidentally backs into into one of the monitors she elbows it and she grabs her arm that that's the end of that scene now you cut back to Catherine in her room and she sees worms on the window and gets all freaked out. There's worms. There's not only worms on the window, but these worm, there's probably like 20 or 30 worms on this window with dirt and they're moving upward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is a really cool effect, by the way. She brings Mullins into the room to look at the worms on the window. (laughs) Mullins. You mean Dirk Blocker, man. Sorry, Dirk Blocker. Harmer. (laughs) Come on, Dirk Blocker. And, um, from there, you cut back to Lisa translating, quote, The Prince of Darkness was himself sealed, that old life, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. 
Barak's reading this. He's now in there with her, and they both look at each other, and they both look scared as shit. I love that. Uh, that this the the what does it say the the old life or something? I like that. that I thought that was kind of yeah. cool. The Prince of Darkness was himself sealed. That old life. That old life. Yeah, that was yeah. kind of cool. I love his writing in this. It's so oh, it's cool. So good. So good. Susan. Susan. You know, radiologist glasses. <laughs> glasses. She enters <laughs> and shows Barack an X-ray of the tank. And she says, you know, look at here. There's this weird locking mechanism. Looks like it can only be opened from the inside. And as a kid, I didn't really pick up on that. And in the 20, 30, 40, 50 times I've watched this movie, I never really picked up on the idea that it's going to release itself. It's it's not a It locked prison. itself in? No. Well, his da- I guess, well, I guess what I didn't understand the first couple of times I watched it was that they say it, but you know, when you're watching things and you're high and you're drunk, things kind of go past you. But um, I didn't, you know... It, you initially think it's like a prison, but it's kind of not because yes, there the locking mechanism can only be opened from the inside. And so I guess maybe his dad, the anti God, put the Prince of Darkness in this to basically keep him safe, you know, so he didn't get banished to the uh to the the anti zone, you know, the the phantom zone from from Superman. Um yeah. you know. Yeah. But like but when you when I'm when I was the first time first couple of times I watched it you know, I kind of miss that because it's it's such a standard trope that man made that vessel and put the creature in it to, to you know what I mean? Whereas here, man didn't even make that jar thing like the the the, the devil did. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that thing. So, you know, it's I find things like this interesting in the fact that. You know they're studying the the creature inside of it, whereas the thing itself, the the jar, what it's in, is also basically un- non earthly. You know, it was created by another being. Very interesting, interesting concepts. But I'm with you. I kind of missed it until I think it was uh, the the viewing, probably with my wife, but it could have been this one where I was like, oh, it unlocks from the inside. Ah, yes. Yeah. Mind blown. Yep. I was like, because that thing, I remember hearing it, but I kind of didn't kind of click together in my head what that meant, you know? So, again, man, there's so many layers to this movie. This movie... is absolutely deserves multiple viewings. Agreed. Wholeheartedly agreed. So from now it's, it's, it's now getting dark at the church and more street walkers are lining up around the church gathering cut back to the kitchen, the mess hall (laughs) and Leahy's in there. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. He's I love it. Trumpeting to himself. I I, and apparently Peter Jason, that was his idea. Like that was he he I think I think John Carpenter just kind of heard him doing it and was like, do that. Like have your character do that. And I also love the uh the apple pop that you do yeah, when he's you got like pop an apple. Yeah, thing. when you like kind of like drop it and make your 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 bicep kind of pop it up or something. I always love that. I've always I don't do it a lot, and every time I do it, I feel like I fuck it up, but I always love love the apple pop in a movie i'm sure you did try to do that and then you try to do the snapping the the lighter like uh harvey Keitel did in reservoir dogs well honestly it was um i did do the the zippo uh, uh flip thing but it was actually because of george clooney and out of sight that was oh, his yeah. that was his character's tick was to have a, a zippo that he kind of flips you know and 
I learned it so well. And first off, it took me like months. It would just shoot out of my hand, obviously. But dude, I can pick up a Zippo now, having not done it for years. And just, it, it's all muscle memory at this point. I've done it so much that I have no problem doing it. And then I can light it by doing the, you know, snap my yep. fingers. Yep. Mr. White. Yep, dude. I'm not going to lie, man. I, I, I'm glad I don't smoke anymore. I, I, <laughs> I'm glad I don't smoke anymore. I really am. But I do miss certain aspects of it, and my trusty Zippo was one of them. I was just going to say, you know, how much of an impact movies have on people because they're obviously imitating what you saw on screen. Well, I started smoking cigarettes because of Chow Yun-Fat, so yes, yes, I was a very impressionable youth. (laughs) So after Leahy does his trumpet dinner-making, and he continues on, actually, with the trumpeting in another scene as well, but... uh, he gets up all in Walter's face as Walter's watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon as Tom's being flushed down to hell and the devil is, you know, poking him with a, with a, with a pitchfork. You've seen that one, right? I mean, I've seen that one. I've seen that one a million fucking times. Yeah. It's funny. That's like the one I remember the most actually. Uh, He goes over to turn TV off and he gets up. uh, Walter does. Walter goes, gets up and sees Kelly by the window uh, of the kitchen. She, and she's like, tells them to look outside and they're looking at the homeless people. And so outside the window of the kitchen, it's an alleyway. And just to describe it, um, from the window, there's probably like a, I want to say a 12 foot drop, maybe 10 foot drop. Uh, and then with a maybe six foot wide, uh, walkway. And on the other side of the walkway, there's a large fence on the other side, it's not kind of impossible to get up and go over. Yeah, because the, um, the fence on the other side is on top of, like, a brick wall because the, the alley is sort of – it seems like it's sort of sunk underground a little bit sort of-ish. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it I, I, yeah. dips it, down to go what, what probably to the, the base of the, the, the e- top of the cellar. Yeah, right? so so if you go down into that alley – and this will come into play later, later – but if you go down into that alley – you kind of have to exit it via its natural exits. It's it's going to be hard for you to get back out of that alley either way. So it is kind yeah. of a it is an alley. It's like a it's it's a it's a pin, um, a choke point for sure. Yeah, for sure. And she's watching the there's homeless people uh, on both sides of the alley, and she's talking about how her friend did a study on chronic schizophrenics, where they have routines that they, that they repeat every twenty minutes or so, uh, like kind of like a stuck record. And she's like, you know, I've been watching these people on and off all day, and they've just been standing in the same place, right? And I, I will say is, this is like the one time where I feel like John Carpenter like just took schizophrenia 101, like clearly yeah. didn't kind of understand it. Because I feel like I've never, I've never heard that where like schizophrenics like repeat the same patterns over and over again. I mean, maybe they do, but she was saying it like that was like a blanket statement for like all schizophrenics. Like yeah. Yeah. Like that's it. Like the end yeah. all be all. Yeah. Yeah. It is an interesting, but yeah, it kind of, but it, it explains that there's, there's clearly something else going right. on besides just a mental right. pro- issue. Right. Um, she rubs her, her rubs the bruise on her arm the bruise is getting bigger uh or well her, her bump now is is a pretty big bruise on her arm and walter asks if she's okay and she's like well it's starting to hurt and walter's like it's probably nerves and she's like walter it's not nerves and he's like she goes it's just a bruise you don't bruise from nerves <laughs> and he's like well i used to break out when i was five when i was 12 doctor said it was homosexual panic <laughs> yeah, I- 
wrote that down. What the fuck is that? They're like, wait a minute. Does this go back to Brian's earlier comment about, you know, the guy in Century City? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like, seriously, man. Like, what the fuck? great i love it he's such a like a great one-liner yeah i know i, I mean and, and it's so different from wang in big trouble and you know that's my only familiarity with 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 uh david dunn with him, kevin dunn at that point or De- uh, david dunn sorry uh at that point where i'm like wait that's i thought he's supposed to be cool he's kind of a jerk i mean <laughs> truthfully my only experience with David Dunn is is this and Big Trouble in Little China. I don't know if I've yeah. s- really seen anything else with him in in it, but uh, yeah, it's it it is nice. He's not playing the same character. He really isn't, no. and that's and that is cool. I like that, which I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From there, you cut back to Leahy walking in to see Etchinson. <laughs> and he checks on Etchinson if he's. Uh, asked him if he's checked the samples from the tank, the corrosion samples, um, and and he's like, yeah, I checked the samples, but the, here are the numbers. And Leahy's like, well, this this can't be; um, these numbers are too high. And he's like, well, that's all I got for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Etchinson is you know done for the night, and he leaves Leahy uh, to continue, and Leahy's continuing to do his trombone. <laughs> And Etchinson goes into the alley, and he's actually listening to Alice Cooper music, I yeah. guess, at the time. Yeah, he's he got is. his little yeah. headphones on, <laughs> and uh, he's he's now in that alley that, that we just described in detail. <laughs> and, and there's a reason we described it in detail. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So he's in the alley, and he's he's starting to leave, and he sees a crucifix on the ground with a pigeon uh, strapped to the crucifix. Yeah, and he's like, oh, that's gross, and he looks all grossed out. And then he looks down the end of the hall uh, alleyway, and Alice Cooper's down there carrying half of a bike. So picture, you know, the back end of a bicycle with its wheel and in the top bar, and in the in the the front part of the bike has been broken off. So the 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 the, the top bar of the bike is exposed. Right. Right. Yeah, it almost creates like a, a javelin sort of scenario. Yeah, Edgerton looks at him, kind of like what the hell's going on and he turns to go to the other way and there's homeless people filled in the other side of him yeah. so he turns around to go back and when he turns around to go back uh alice cooper's right in front of him and jams the open bar into Etchinson's chest in the crunching sound that it makes as it goes pierces his flesh and comes out the other end with blood spraying, spraying. out the back end of it uh is disgusting and horrific it's one of the more grotesque scenes in the movie with blood coming out of Etchinson's mouth. And the way he just lets him hang is the, the, the wheel part of the bike is still in front of him. So he kind of balances on that. Yeah. <laughs> sitting there balancing on the bike. There's blood spraying out the back of him. It was such an awesome death gag. I, I loved it. I loved this death here. Fan fucking tastic. And yeah, it's really cool. Cause yeah, he's kind of just like slumped over on the, the 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 bike but the wheels on the ground so he's kind of like sort of on it kind of weirdly standing up as he's dead but it's cool because when the 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 front you know the pole goes through him i mean it just sprays everywhere out of his back it's awesome it's really fucking awesome 
It's great. It's great. It's great gore. Yeah. It's it's classic. It's like the thing type gore, you know, where you're like, oh, this is shocking. Well, I mean, like, like directors have their styles. Like, you know, Paul Verhoeven has a certain aesthetic to his, his squibs, the blood packets, you know, that happen. Like, I can always tell when it's a Verhoeven movie because he has very explosive squibs. And I think, like, John Carpenter, he likes blood that also kind of like sprays and stuff so yeah. he just for some reason John Carpenter has a, has this aesthetic to his his gore that you can just sort of tell is John Carpenter it's signature yep and it's a signature death it is and then the great from death. there you cut to uh, Barack in the church and in like the main hall uh, the meeting hall and he gets confronted by Brian and Brian says nothing is able to do what that thing is what it is doing. And Barack's like, settle down. You know, like he can tell he doesn't want people to get riled up by what Brian's talking about. And Brian continues. He says, a life form is growing out of prebiotic fluid. It's not winding down into disorder. It's self-organizing. It's becoming something. Yeah. That's so cool. What? You know, and then Barack says, the hardest thing to hear is something we don't agree with. And he shows Brian a paper. It's uh, the, like the translation that Lisa's been doing. And Brian reads it out loud. He says, I saw a star fall from heaven onto the bottomless pit, and he was cast out of water from the flood. And he looks at Barack, and he's like, this is crazy. It's awesome is what it is. It's so fucking, fucking awesome. From there... Susan, you know, radiologist, glasses. <laughs> glasses. You know, and by the way, she's very, very pretty, but that hair is oh so 80s. Well, and to give you an idea, if, if you don't, if you're not familiar with this movie, she kind of looks a little like Linda Blair, a little yeah, bit. She does. She does have a bit of a Linda Blair to her. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which is fitting for what's about to happen to her. Susan enters the cellar. You mean when she gets bukkakeed in the mouth by Prince of Darkness? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she comes down to the cellar, and Mullins is down there working, and he kind of approaches her. come on. Sorry. Dirk Blocker. Thank you. <laughs> and He's not in he, it for much longer, so please. <laughs> no, you're right. Well, he's sort of. <laughs> he's and, sort uh, of. And, and he approaches her all jovial looking. He kind of looks, he reminds me of um, uh, in Tenacious D, uh, Jack Black's buddy. Yeah. I, forget, I, I forget his name. I do too. KG. Yeah. Kevin, uh, KG, whatever it is. Kevin something. Yeah, I, I do too. And the thing is like, he and Dirk Blocker, he's got like, he, he's, you know, kind of pudgy, long hair, but bald on the top, even though you can tell he's like 29 years old or something or 30 yeah. and yet he's totally bald. But he has beautiful blue eyes and you're just like man those eyes are just so wasted on that face i'm sorry oh, I, lo- I love her hey i love her blocker he's great but i mean i'm sorry if i <laughs> if i looked like that when i was 30 i would be upset with myself but he's got beautiful eyes and we all got friends that 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 that, that happened to <laughs> that happened to kind uh, li- uh life wasn't kind <laughs> nature (laughs) (laughs) time was not kind to you i will not be kind to you i would not be kind to you so from there yeah uh you know dirk's uh (laughs) she says she tells dirk she's like from the corrosion samples this thing is seven million years old that's so cool that's That's so cool and she's and she's like basically there's like 
stalagmites or tights. I don't remember which way stalagmites or tights go, but basically there's like this stalagmites coming down off the side of it because it's freaking, yeah, it's like millions of years old. It's the, yeah. the condensation dripping is creating fucking stalagmites on the side of it. It's awesome. I love all, like, John Carpenter, he just, he understood what this movie was. He understood the backstory. And I feel like everything, there's nothing that doesn't, like, make sense. And that's what's awesome because as you're discovering all of this, nothing doesn't fit because John Carpenter understood what came before the script. Do you know what I mean? Yep, yep totally, totally. I mean, it's it's so well-researched, well-thought-out, every little detail. You, you know what I would say? This movie is fucking inspired. I guarantee, I mean, he probably just was in a fever pitch writing this or something because it is just, it's fucking inspired is what it is. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. No complaints, no uh, disagreement on my end, Your Honor. (laughs) So uh, Mullins is getting ready to leave. And I love this because he's like, you want me to stay? And she's like, no, you can leave, you know, because they're scientists. And, and, And there's no bad guy in this movie there's no like that one jerk scientist even like uh uh, uh Wyndham he's not that much of a jerk you know what I mean like not he's, really he's just, a, he's just kind of annoying it's he's just like dude if you want to leave then leave yeah you know? Do, but, you but know? there's no character in this movie that is like the the asshole character you know and and even no, even agree. Dirk Blocker his character uh Mullins he you know he's even nice he's like hey you you want me to stay because that's that's what's cool like these are these characters are all people. They're not characters in a movie telling a story. They're people that are put in this crazy position. And that's yeah. when I love when you write characters. I love it when you write them like that, you know? Well, yeah, there's no caricatures in this film. There you there go. Really, there's not. There there's you not go. one caricature where you're like, oh, that's that guy. Really, there's not. Yep. Um, so he leaves, and, and she now, she's pretty far away from the from the cylinder, uh, and she walks closer to it. And granted, again, this is like the first time her seeing it. As she moves closer to it, they cut to the ceiling uh, right above the cylinder, and you realize it's leaking, and the ceiling is filling with green fluid. And it's a cool shot because it looks like a pool upside down. Yeah, and they do a lot of awesome shots like this. There's a lot of awesome trick photography that that my that my film brain was just enjoying figuring out how they did it and everything. And I mean, it's it's a lot of simple effects, but yeah. my god, they're so effective. Because just like the worms going up, yeah, you know, yeah. up the window. Because this would all just be fucking done with CGI now. And and yeah. it looks fantastic because it's not CGI because it's all done practically. Yeah, it's 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 great. Even like the kills, some of the kills you're like, "Oh, they did that with but no, it's it's called using your imagination, mm-hmm. guys." <laughs> From there, you cut back to the upstairs in the church where Lisa is revealing data to Brian, uh the priest, Leahy, Frank, and Barack. Yeah, they're all is this when they're all sort of like in a in the group area talking essentially? Yeah. And she she reveals that she says that some of the writing is undecipherable, like someone was deliberately trying to erase it. She reveals the container was buried somewhere in the Middle East eons ago by the father of Satan, a god who once walked the earth before man. Walter and Calder now at this point enter the room. Walked the earth before man that was somehow banished by to the dark side. The father buried his son inside the container, and now at this point, Kelly and Catherine now enter the room. 
And she says, this section was being erased. And she says, Christ comes to warn us. It was extraterrestrial ancestry, but human-like. And then from there, they cut to Susan downstairs. Now you're realizing, holy shit, this thing was buried in the ground by its dad, Satan. It's the devil itself, but it's an alien, right? Or or Christ Christ is an alien. Like, that's fucking, dude, that, that is concepts that are, like, still now being talked about. You know, like, right? like ancient alien shit. Like, this is all fucking all over, uh, you know, coast to coast and, and ancient aliens and any other fucking thing you want to talk about. But it's, like, that is so cool. And something that I, like, I missed the first couple of viewings because there is so much information hitting you. So much coming over you in this movie that I kind of missed that. And, my God, it's so fucking cool. Like, yeah talking about like christ is an alien and he came here to well you'll explain more but that right now we establish christ is an alien like cool like and it's just and and that's a fact like the fucking fact so great and then you know susan is watching the, the the cylinder and she gets right up to it and then the monitor to her left or right moves on its own at this point i would have been like okay now i'm fucking leaving i'm out of here this is the moment where I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't have stayed because yeah. she looks already scared as it is. She's freaked out by it. Then there's this weird sound, like kind of a a, a looming, like hissing, a, a hissing sound that gets louder and louder. And they cut to the ceiling. And now what was originally just a dripping onto the ceiling is now this giant pool of green being leaked out. From there, from the pool, a giant spray just emits from the pool into Susan's mouth. Yep. She got the money shot, baby. <laughs> she swallows it. Yeah. <laughs> um, she gags. Yep. That happens. <laughs> uh, cuts back to Lisa reading more of her findings. Christ is crazy, but gaining power, converting a lot of people to his beliefs. So they kill him. But his disciples keep the cylinder secret. As she's saying this, Calder does the like the prayer, you know, the sun, the north and the south and the east and the west. She keeps reading Uh, his disciples keep the cylinder a secret until man can develop a science sophisticated enough to prove Christ's theory. And then Walter says something like this can really fuck up your weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Like breaks the breaks the uh, the tension. Right. And at that point, Leahy says, "Okay, so. How can the Roman the Roman Church was able to keep this a secret for two thousand years? Like, how is that possible? And then Donald Pleasant's priest says, "A decision was made. The Church made up a lie about the devil to sell a product. <laughs> we were just the salesmen to live their product. truth, <laughs> substance, malevolence. That was our truth. Asleep until now." And it's it's cool because he's like he has a line about how, you know, they just moved the evil to be inside of you instead of having an exterior evil. It, it's basically an internal evil. But that also keeps man at the center of things, which is convenient. Um, yeah. And it's just like, again, just concept after concept after you just hit after hit after hit. But it's all so very fucking interesting. So interesting. From here, you cut to Susan back down in the cellar on the ground, dying. 
She's laying there. That, that's kind of cool. She's like laying there, not really moving, but like doing that, like doing that last bit of gasp for breath type of thing. That's yeah. very so many subtle little freaky images that are just oh, they give you just the willies, you know. It's it's a very she's and and at this point she's no longer a radiologist and her glasses have fallen off. Yes, she's, she's lost dead. her glasses. Yes. Um, <laughs> cut back upstairs, Barack says to brian and it's interesting that he talks to brian and like he kind of treats brian in, in a leadership role yeah uh which is interesting because i'm like is brian supposed to be the christ figure in this group in a way possibly mm-hmm. uh brian he's he asked he's like he says to brian he's asking brian to break up the discussion and brian says you know brian just looks at barack and says faith is a hard thing to come by these days he brings Barack over to the seismologist machine, the chart, and says there was a f- forcible movement, a burst of energy just a few moments ago coming from the thing downstairs. And then Walter walks up to them and says, are, are you guys really taking this seriously? Yeah. And then, like, they look at him like, what the fuck's wrong with you, dude? Yeah. And then from there, you cut to Susan rising f- from being dead looking very much possessed now real quick to to roll back to the previous scene did you not get parallels of the thing when he says faith is a hard thing to come by these days because in the thing he says trust is a hard thing to come by these days and my question to you is and you might not know but but is there the same phrase but with a different word in in the mouth of madness is something else in that movie hard to come by these days Perhaps I haven't seen that movie in forever, but yeah, that that's worth investigating for sure. And I'm curious that, if if that if that sentence is the connection between all three. You know, that's that's what I'm wondering. But it is very. I mean, I, right when he said that, I could just hear MacReady saying that. You know. Yeah, and in a way, Brian is like the MacReady character. He's exactly. not ultimately the most in charge of all the guys. Like, um, what do you call it? Rank wise, right. But, but he's the he's most like the capable one, and the one people look to. Yeah, the yeah, they the one they trust the most, I yeah. guess. Yeah. From there, Catherine says, you know, what are we supposed to do? Just go back to work after hearing all this information? And and Kelly and Kelly's like, What would you rather have? Wreath of garlic, benediction, crucifix? And then that's when Catherine says, Then it really is old scratch knocking at the door. It's kind of a cool moment. Yeah. I like it. Um I like that line. Yeah. And and it's just, yeah, they're just having like a banter back and forth. I like it too because like, yeah, old scratch. That's like such a, that's such an old way of talking about the devil, you know? And, and yeah. that that's like one of the, if you've never heard it, um, one of the references, like what people say about the call of the devil is they call him scratch or old scratch or whatever. Yep. And I thought that was just really cool to kind of bring in this like just old term of, of, of it. And, you know, which is also kind of neat when you combine it with, you know, the ending and, and how sort of uh, uh, the anti-God, you know, the, the devil, like how traditional his hand looks um, is, I find that very interesting as well. But like, yeah, having this yeah. whole like the concept of her saying just old scratch, I was like, that's cool. Like that's just a phrase you just never hear anymore, you know? Yeah, like the boogeyman or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I do have to say too, at this point, uh, this next scene, this was the moment where I'm like, wouldn't you want to check this shit out at this point? So they cut back to Brian. So Catherine and Ke- uh, Catherine and Kelly were in a, in Catherine's room 
with the computer. And then you cut back to the main room where everyone, uh, the main meeting room, and it's Brian's talking to Barack about the seismic movement. At this point, I'm like, wouldn't you want to go investigate if there was a big movement downstairs after this went down? Like, that would be my first inclination. That's a little weird, but it's neither here nor there. So Brian's saying that the vibration was triggered some kind of kinetic emission that came out of the thing. He's basically speculating it can move other objects as well. And Barack's like, psychokinesis? And Brian says, yeah, mind-directed energy. I and, and I immediately think of Tenacious D, and I think of, mm, that's that's telekinesis, Kyle. <laughs> it, what, what song is that? Fuck, it's... Um, Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy. Wonder yes. Boy. I love that song. I love what that video. What is the meaning of your power? Dude, so good. But anytime I hear, anytime I hear the, the, ter- the, the phrase telekinesis, I Kyle, think Kyle that's Gass. telekinesis, Kyle. Yeah, Kyle Gas. There you right. go, Kyle. Yeah, K- there's KG. your Dirk Blocker, or Kyle Gas, um, and and Barack doesn't. Barack, Barack doesn't want to tell the others about this, but Brian wants to, uh, and you know Brian wants to tell them that it's conscious, and. Birak is this makes a good point. He's like, well, we need to prove that first, yeah. and that's what I. They're scientists, and you know? I fucking love that. I love the fact that he's like prove that it wasn't yeah, a power surge. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can tell them, but you got to prove that it wasn't something else first, and that's good writing because that's he's a scientist. That's it. He's not going to immediately jump to the conclusion, even though we all know what's happening, and even he probably knows in his gut what's happening. But he's still a fucking scientist, and that is great writing right there. It's great writing. Walter leaves the the main meeting room and walks back into the hallway. And at the other end of the hallway, he sees Susan. Who? And he yells down to her. What's that? Who? Oh, (laughs) he says, you know, Susan, radiologist, glasses. (laughs) And he tells her at the other end of the hallway, he, you know, he's like, you're not going to believe what's going on up here. And he doesn't realize that she's undergone this change. Uh, and from there, he just kind of continues walking, and he walks into the kitchen. And when he walks into the kitchen, Lisa's at the window, like looking out the window, and he goes and grabs a beer. I think it's a – I feel like it's a beer. It it's, could be you know, a soda. No, it is. I, I, I paid particular attention to this scene the second times. First off, it's a Coors. Never really <laughs> cared for Coors myself. Um, but he, like, looks at Lisa. She looks at him. She's He's like, offers her a drink. Yeah, he goes, want one? <laughs> yeah, want one? But she just stares at him. And that's what yeah, he's like. Yeah, she's all snooty. And, 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 like, you know, yes, he says, like, what does he say? Like, he goes, you know, you could really – pa- he goes, has anyone told you you could pass for an Asian? And she does the most incredulous eye roll twice. Yeah. She does it to Walter twice uh, in this movie. Later, The other one will be later and walks past him. But like, I'm like, you know what? You just stood there. You didn't say no thank you or something to like his offering of the cores. You just looked at him like a fucking mental patient. So, yeah, you know what? You kind of deserved Walter's, you know, little jab right there. Yeah. She sucks. I mean, she, she, yeah, I get it. She's intelligent as fuck and she's got a great, you know, she's good at what she does. She's great at what she does. You don't have to have toed about it. What's up with no. the toed? No. Drop the toed. Drop the toed, man. And, and Dirk Blocker walks in and he's like, and she walks out at that point and he's like, well, what was that all about? And uh, Walter goes, uh, no sense of humor. And then that's when he's, uh, he, he says, you seen Susan? 
and you know radiologists glasses <laughs> guys it, it, like, it, like it, it's always 100 percent always whenever they, someone says susan <laughs> they always say who and then they say classic. that or but i love how dirk blocker's just like you know susan he just immediately says glasses radiologist you know yeah. it's i love it it's fucking awesome yeah and walter's like yeah i just saw her in the hallway and mullins like looks out the hallway and he's like where right because she's gone they look she's gone um dirk's like well someone should go tell her what's going on and walter says am i crazy are we stroking ourselves heavily here (laughs) yeah i love that i'll be jerking off i guess mullins leaves and then he just he just walks off and kind of blows off walter and walter's like Thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts. <laughs> I love that. I fucking love that. I love that so much. And I didn't, again, that was another sort of moment that I didn't really cue into uh, until like the fourth viewing of this movie. And I was like, that's so great because he did. He just walked away. And I love how Walter's like, fuck you. Come on. <laughs> yeah, f- fuck me. Fuck me fuck, for having a sense of humor. Fuck me, right? <laughs> f- fuck me, right? So from there. Uh, you cut down to Mullins going down into the cellar. Susan sees him kind of off in the distance in this uh, in this in the long hallway underground, and she walks off, uh, which is very creepy. Cut back to Brian with Catherine. They're they're now talking to each other, uh, and they're by the window. And Brian's like, "There's more to it, you know." And he looks at the w- and they're in in Catherine's office, her workspace. And they're looking at the worm window, which now has blinds drawn. <laughs> I, um, I love how that's how they dealt with the problem. As the yeah. worms continue Let's to grow, they're just it. like, they're like, you know what? We're gonna circle back around to the worms on another day, but for yeah. now, we're just gonna close the blinds on them. <laughs> it's hey, great. Creepy. It's it's a very human reaction. Totally agree. And, um, and we'll, Brian, we'll, we're going to table this one to later. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm terrified of that. So yes. we'll just parking lot it for now. We're going to parking lot that one over there for now. <laughs> we'll circle back around. <laughs> yeah, we'll circle back. I, I don't know why, but I found that infinitely amusing that they just dealt with the problem by covering it up. Yeah. Just, you know, put the bandaid on the open moon. Yep. Um, and then, and then I love this because Brian's like, this thing has some kind of power. It's reaching out. It's influencing, changing things, moving objects by thought. Cut to Mullins in the cellar. After we know this, we're like, Mullins, you're stupid, dude. Get out of there. Uh, he's calling for Susan. Or he sees Susan's glasses on the ground. And that's when he's like kind of freaked out at that point. Dirk Blocker is anyways. And uh and then he, after he picks up the glasses and looks at him, out of nowhere, Susan is right next to him, and she cracks his neck. Yep. Dead. Great sound effect, and totally, the first time I saw it, I'm sure with you, I, I was shocked by it, because every time, it's it's very, just, it's so, it's unceremonious and very startling every single time. And I'm I'm leaving out a very important point. There is like a motion sensor down there that's beeping. When he goes down there, oh, is and it's that beeping that slowly, oh. and it starts beeping faster and faster and faster and faster, and that's when she shows up out of nowhere. Oh, I didn't know what that was. I mean, yeah, there is beeping and it does go faster. I wasn't sure what it was because he's staring. He's like Dirk Blocker's looking at it, and then he kind of does that, like looks slowly over his shoulder, and but the camera is like really close to his face, and then yeah. all of a sudden her hands sort of enter the frame really quickly, and then just snap his neck and he falls Snap like yeah he's dead but yep. but it's it's cool because like it's one of those shots where 
there's one shot where he's it, like facing the camera and kind of like bends down to sort of see what the machine is. And when yeah. he's doing that, she's like right behind him. And I, I always like those kind of shots. And there's more of them later. One happens with Walter in the room where like she's right next to him. I, lo- I love that shit. I think that shit's always effective. Yeah, it's so, so terrifying. Now we cut to Barack in the priest's uh, office. And, uh, and Barack says, you know, suppose this is real. And he says, particles have an anti-particle mirror image, a negative side. Maybe he's anti-God. And they're kind of having a debate because then the mm-hmm. priest goes, why weren't we told the truth? He's so angry. and, and yeah. it's But it's true because, like, yeah, he's mad at the church. He's, I mean, this is in his entire life, you know. I find Donald Pleasant's character very interesting in this movie because it's a, oh, it's totally. a man who— put his whole life into this faith and then it came crashing down on him. Totally. Well, and, and, and Burak, Burak makes a good point. He's like, you had no technology to prove it, which makes, which is cool. It's the the science part of it. Right. And then that's when Pleasance is like, he was all prisoner, not yours. Only the corrupt are listened to now. They tell us what we want to hear. We believe it to be divine light. (laughs) Then they they shudder. They both shudder. And he goes, did it, did it just get colder in here? As if something moved through the room? Now, is that, do you think that that is, is, is Satan walking through the room at that point? Like, I know he's yeah, kind of floating in a void, but is it, like, is it another dimension? Is it, like, from beyond where, like, he's still standing right here, but it's, a different dimension so we can't interact with them you know what i mean like is that well, it it's his energy i feel like yeah because i feel like you can feel energy right? yeah you can, and and the presence is there it's somewhere in the building he just doesn't have like his energy is so overpowering it's there it just doesn't have a way to access it you know right okay. exit exit out right yeah from there you cut to Frank, Frank Wyndham, you know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. What do you call him? Mike and Mechanics. Uh, Lomax. And Lomax is very nondescript. He's a very nondescript. He's just a brunette dude. He kind of doesn't have that many lines. Yeah. He's got a few moments that are important. But other than that, he's just a very small character. And it's weird because he makes it pretty far in the movie. Which yeah. I love. Yeah. And he's not a character that they put any kind of time into um very like you said very generic brunette dude um wouldn't even recognize him on the street uh weirdly though uh, was it was his name frank Wyndham. like he's like you can tell he's like 31 years old but yet he's got that balding 80s hairstyle <laughs> where you just like i don't know man what happened before the days where like balding guys just shave their heads like they tried to just create like mullets but they're still bald like how does like, how did that look attractive at all, like, to the opposite sex back in the day, you know? Like, okay. how was that ever attractive? I don't think there are, not, anyone in that building is attracted to him because he wants to split. Yeah, so, yeah. Because, you know? uh, yeah, because it's, it's Frank, Lomax, and Calder are outside, and Frank wants to leave. Uh, but Calder's like, you know, we are on the brink of the ultimate truth. Yeah. Right? Finding out, like, this is a huge, ex- like, re- revelation for not just – religion religion but science too yeah for i mean all of humankind this is massive yeah and frank's like you know frank says this priest is a case he's looney tunes you guys are out of your minds 
this is a joke. This is caca. Caca. And then they walk away and he goes, caca. This is caca. <laughs> and I wrote that down. This is caca. caca. I said fucking caca. Frank. <laughs> I love that. Caca is such a, like a little kid word. You I know. know. But I love, there's a comedian named Pablo Francisco that does a whole thing about caca. And he's like, I just wish people would be like, bring caca back all the time. You know? <laughs> Don't give me that caca. <laughs> Kaka. Anyway, and, and Frank is wind of he he says it like like it's a thing. You know what I mean? With, no, he, he says it. Un, he says it unironically. Yes. So now at this point, he's all alone by himself, as he should be, of course. And uh, after Lennox and uh, sorry, Lennox, yeah, Lennox and uh, Calder go back inside. Um, Susan walks out from so from the upper staircase of this church. And she comes out and, and the music, you know, dun, dun, kind of looms because she looks looks all super possessed. And then as as she does, he looks down and he's got beetles all around him, little stink beetles, Ew, so these gross. little black beetles. And he's got beetles on his hands, one on his face, too. He's got one on his face and there's beetles everywhere. And out of nowhere, this homeless woman, the homeless bag lady woman from earlier with the with the worms and shit in her cup, the maggots, uh, she just comes up on him with one half of a scissor blade and she just starts jamming it in his chest and just just hacks the shit out of him. And it's such he's dead. It's such a cool shot when she runs in because he's like he's so in the middle of a parking lot like he's in like a full like light, you know, like he's not near shadows and stuff. So you think he's safe, but she comes running. And I love this like one shot that John Carpenter does. It's like a, a slow motion shot on her hand. Yeah. It's, it's kind of running through. It's kind of like following the hand. And then there's like this master shot of, of her running across the parking lot. It's very freaky. It's, it's really, really cool as, as, uh, as Frank's trying to like, you know, rub the, wipe the the bugs off of him and then yeah she just fucking lays into him he he gets fucked up i mean she kills the shit out of him but gets fucked up it's really well done and i do that is my note frank gets fucked up (laughs) yeah if if you were tracy morgan you go he gets fucked up (laughs) i love tracy morgan (laughs) so do i um okay so from there you cut back to Catherine, who's decoding on her end and then lisa's translating cut to lisa translating and she translates from her book, Be you not deceived of his purpose, for one will be chosen. And then she looks at the book, and there's a symbol in the book. And it's essentially like part of a star with a hook at the bottom of it. And I'm like, is that the blue oyster cult symbol? Because <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that. We'll and, figure out. And, we'll, it'll, they'll explain later what yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's kind of like, basically, it's kind of occulty. You know, it's it's very occult-esque, you know. And, and yeah. you know, Blue Oyster Cult was, it was, I, I love Blue Oyster Cult as a band, but they obviously, you know, were tapping into a an idea and, and stuff, you know. It's it's very occult-esque. Yes, yeah. And they were kind of, they were all over the place, even though they had very mellow songs yeah. and then they had rockin' songs too. Yeah. Um, uh, or cowbell anyone. So anyways, from there, Lisa hears like a creaking sound, but she turns and she looks and she sees nothing. Right. From there, you cut to Leahy and Lennox and Calder. And Leahy asks where Frank is. 
And, and Calder's like, uh, he left. And then Leahy asks about Susan. And they're like, Susan? And he's like, you know, radiologist, glasses. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it never ends. It's great. And it's, right? it's it, he doesn't, it's funny. It's like you don't almost pick up on it the first time. It's not, a, it's not a gag that he kind of like zooms in on. And like no one's ever like looking it's at funny. the screen and winking. It's just yeah. you realize after watching it multiple times that this phrase just keeps coming up. You're like, oh, it's a joke. You know, that's John, John Carpenter's having a little bit of fun here, but it's, yeah, it's, that. it's awesome. It's a really, it's well done. It's a well done joke. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it hits, it, it nails it every single fucking time. Um, because whenever the person says it, I think it's also the first time they're saying it, you know what I mean? So they don't realize that they're being repetitious, but the audience is seeing the repetition. Anyways, yeah. I think it's great. That's, that's like fucking, that is just great writing right there. No, I agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah, and and it's essentially they're like, well, I, they both left. You know, that's what Lennox and Calder are saying. Uh, or, or no, uh, Leahy's like, well, maybe they both they both left, and and then um, and then they say, well, maybe they had the, they had the right idea. From there, you cut back to the woman outside the the streetwalker standing over Frank's body. Yeah, and you and, see like his hand on the ground too. Like yeah, like she chopped him to pieces essentially. And then this is where you get another reoccurring thing, which uh, if you are familiar at all with DJ Shadow, he's a great, he's brilliant hip hop DJ. Uh, He's got an album called Introducing, E-N-D. I highly recommend it. Okay. And he samples every single one of these dreams throughout his album. Oh, cool. It's really killer. It's killer. He's got the, the entire album from end to end is amazing. It's a story. I highly recommend you pick it up. Anyways, it's great trip music. So Walter is sleeping and he's having a dream. And he, in his dream, it's, uh, it's like someone's holding a video camera filming the outside of the church. And you hear this narration underneath saying, this is not a dream. This is not a dream. We are transmitting from the year one nine and then he wakes up but but you also see like this cool shadowed robe figure sort of standing just for half a the, second yeah for half a second now it's yeah. cool because apparently they john carpenter shot all these dream sequences he shot them in video so he shot them on video and yeah. then they filmed it being played on the tv so what you're seeing is him you know, them filming a TV playing the video. Yeah, yeah, which which is a super cool effect. It is. It really is. And, and there will be more detail in this dream reveal. This was just, just a snippet. Walter wakes up from his dream, kind of screaming, shocked. <laughs> Brian's there and, like, immediately, like, lays into him. He's like, uh, he asks about Susan. And Walter's like, huh? He's like, you know, radiologist, glasses. <laughs> <laughs> And Walter's like, Man, I was asleep, you know, and and Brian's like, well, we can't find Susan Mullins, Frank Wyndham, Frank Wind, Frank Wyndham's his name. And Brian's like, you know, a couple of others want to want to leave as well. And Brian's like, I want to look. I want to look for everybody. Cut to Lisa translating. Um, she hears a weird sound. And she goes to the door and sees Brian and Walter walking down the hallway and this is 
uh, roll eye roll number two mm. because Walter sees her as they're walking by and he's like, if I don't come back, you can have my Porsche. And all she, I mean, her eye rolls are so extreme. She's got the most extreme eye rolls ever. Yeah, she eye rolls and she walks off into the sleeping room uh, to go take a nap. From there, there's a dream again. And you just see the dark being from the opening of the church and it's opening up its arms wide, right? And then Barak awakes. And in the dream, you hear, you're receiving this dream from your subconscious. Our technology has now developed a transmitter strong enough to reach your constant state of awareness. Barak awakes and the priest says, you know, what were you dreaming about? And Barak says, your kingdom, father, does not include my subconscious. It's mine. I love that. I may abuse it any way I any way I wish. That's so cool. I love that. Immediately, he's like, fuck you. I ain't going to yeah. tell you my dreams because they're mine. But he says, we find yeah. out that it's actually not his. Yeah, right. Yeah, he says, I may abuse it any way I wish without having to come confess what's in it. And the priest says, the Brotherhood of Sleep, anyone in close proximity has the same dream. The one you had just now. Dude, you you I I was taking a drink from my beer and I don't know if the I don't know if it got picked up off this here again. I said, "Mm," because I fucking finally pieced together why this why they were called the Brotherhood of Sleep. I it fucking I couldn't figure it yeah. out and I I got it when either like the sleeper awakens. I was like, "Okay, no, it's because of this fucking dream. That's dream. why it's called the Brotherhood of Sleep. Fuck. Guys, I've seen this movie like four times. I love it. And I'm just, you're literally hearing me just figure that out now. Wow, that's awesome. Love it. And love it. and everyone in the church is now a part of the Brotherhood of Sleep. Basically, yep. They're all part of the Brotherhood of Sleep. Fucking Which cool. Which I didn't figure that out until now, too. I'm like, oh, shit. They're a brotherhood. It's, it's like they're, they're like a fucking viewing. superhero team, uh, essentially. It's fucking... Yeah. Th- this movie, is, it's it's so weird because it's like, it's a horror movie, but it's so sci-fi. It's not a horror movie, but it is. It's, oh, God, I fucking love this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome so <laughs> i know but dude this is i mean you gave this movie to me i've I, you thank you thank you thank you <laughs> thank you zach and thank you john carpenter <laughs> you're welcome and i'll speak for john you're welcome um cut back to lisa yeah th- you're right lisa when lisa laid down in her room susan was in the corner of the room uh the, just for a second you see her yeah that's very cool you cut back to susan uh lisa in her sleeping and Susan is now crawling on top of her hot. <laughs> I was like, mm, hot. <laughs> <laughs> and Lisa awakens. And I love that she doesn't say anything because she's like awakened from her sleep. She's startled. Like what's going on. And then she looks at, at, at Susan and Susan's getting closer to her face. And she's like, um, I don't. And then before she can say anything else, that's when Susan sprays juice into her throat. We call that snowballing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, God, ah, you know. Yeah. Coughing and gagging, as as one does. Every time that the spray comes out of the mouth, you can tell how they do it from, like, something, a nozzle yeah, to the side. It, but it never once takes away from it. It's It's probably, like... 
technically the worst effect in the movie, but it's it's never bad. I'm saying that also saying that it's like it's not a bad thing either. It's it's never bad, but it is probably the worst effect in the film. That in the chopstick in the eyeball. Oh but, yeah, true. Yeah, but it but it's it's, it's fine. you know what doesn't take away from anything. It doesn't. It, it's a little um, amateurish, but but. It is what it is. It, you know? it, it was an independent film. He 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 made this on his own, and this movie totally. is amazing. And uh, again, no, there's none of that takes anything away from it. He had Rob Botine go crazy on the thing, so he yeah. couldn't get Botine back. So yeah. Oh, there you go. Cut back to uh, Birak and the priest, and Donald Pleasant says, "Guardian priest had the dream for years," and he also says, "Like the dream is." pushing everything out of your brain like it's yeah, it's or everything out of your dreams like it's making a space for itself there yeah he says um he says the dream is a premonition it evolves we'll have it every time we go to sleep hey everybody Corey here i just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean. Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then... Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. Hello! La, la, la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La, la, la. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. From there, we cut to Brian and Walter in the cellar. They can't, no one's down there that they know of. They haven't actually gone all the way up to the cylinder. They're like kind of in, like in the opening of the main room. They haven't walked all the way up to the cylinder. And Walter thinks that uh, Dirk Blocker left. And Brian just glares at him. And Walter's like, why are you looking at me? No, okay, I don't want to get this. I don't want to fuck this up. He says, <laughs> he's he's like, why are you looking at me that way? And then Brian says, because you're being assholeish. And then Walter says, well, that's very assholeish for you to say so. <laughs> <laughs> and Walter says, 
I hope Mullins is boffing the radiologist. I hope he's getting laid. I hope they're both on their way to a nice Chinese restaurant. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so mean, great. I mean, it's great. Walt, Walter's great, and him and Brian have a great rapport. I mean, it's, Dude, it's great. It's great. He's so good. It's at, so... He, Carpenter's so great at making, um, connecting, creating relationships yeah. Yeah. with people. Mm-hmm. So good at that. And they leave the cellar and Mullins, they cut back to the front of the cellar and Mullins is laying there dead with a broken neck. It's like one of those things, if they had walked like 10 feet forward, they would have seen him. But, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they don't expect a body to be on the ground. They're just in the middle of the area. And the, the area is pretty open. So, like, yeah, they don't see anybody standing and doing something. But, yeah, if they would moved forward a little bit further, they would have seen old Dirk on the ground with his neck they broken. They would have seen Dirk Blocker dead. Yep. And he's laying there on the ground, and the ceiling continues to drip liquid, and it's dripping into his mouth. Doink. And and doink, good job on, on actor Dirk Blocker for for not blinking when the water hits him in the mouth as he's like, I mean, because the camera is right on his face with his eyes, his beautiful baby blue eyes open. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's I love those shots. I always love shots where I'm always looking for actors who, you know, that are playing dead. I'm always looking for their to, them to breathe or something, you know, blink and or, or something like to that. blink yeah. or something. And I'm like, you did good, Dirk. You did real good, buddy. <laughs> You did good. You did. You did good blocking, Dirk. Um, so from there, Catherine is. They cut back to Catherine uh, decoding in her workspace, and she's translating. And Kelly walks in, and she's like, "You're still working?" Oh no, she says something like, "I'm gonna go lay down. I'm tired." She goes, "I can't believe you're still working. It's three thirty in the morning." And Catherine just like dismisses the whole thing and she says like i'm trying to figure out these equations they're not making any sense they're beyond me they're like another language and kelly doesn't even she's not even paying attention she's like i'm gonna take a 30 minute nap poor kelly like it keeps getting worse for her because she's like wake me up in 45 minutes and then she's like a 30 minute nap and then like a little bit later someone's gonna come in and she's gonna be like just wake me up in 15 minutes and i I was like (laughs) i I was like there's kind of a joke there that i think he was working on you know like it's just like she kept getting like less and less sleep i almost could kind of see john carpenter laughing to himself as he was typing it you know well they a little bit of a joke. I think they that it said it, they filmed this movie in 30 days and probably like maybe people didn't get a lot of sleep probably pulling yeah. all nighters. Um, so maybe that was kind of written into the script. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, she's going to go take a nap. And then uh, and then she asks Catherine asks Kelly if she's OK. And she's like, no. And Catherine's like, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, and Catherine wants to go home. And Kelly's at the doorway and she's she's about to leave, but her arms are crossed, and then she's kind of playing with the bruise on her arm. Catherine notices the bruise on her, and Kelly's like, "No, it's fine. It's just a bruise." Uh, and and then she like pulls her sh- sleeve up on her shirt. She notices that it's the fucking symbol. Yeah. Well, from the book well, and she's well, like well, she, it's not a big deal yeah well she she doesn't notice that it's a symbol whereas we clear like i'm looking i'm like well like if you had that as a bruise like i'd be like you need to get a priest because yeah it looks like a branding is what it, it looks it, like it does it looks like a fucking branding it really and really like, does come on that is a little bit of a moment of yeah. like come on you see that shit yeah. you're a scientist 
you're gonna fucking freak out. I would freak out, you, dude. You know what? I'll push back on you, and I'll say Catherine dealt with that the same way she dealt with the worms. She was like, you know what? I'll come back to that later. <laughs> pulls the blinds down. She just pulls, pulls her shirt sleeve down. down. Pulls, pulls Kelly's sleeve down. Well, you know what? We'll get back to that later. Not gonna deal with that right now. It's okay. <laughs> We're just not gonna talk about it right now. Nope. Okay? Nope. <laughs> Kelly goes to lie down in her room. Calder walks into the room right as Kelly's starting to lay down and he says there's a meeting in the main hall and Kelly's like oh just give me 15 more minutes yeah yeah this is when she's like like it went from like 45 minutes to 30 she's like just give me 15 minutes please god yeah Brian and Walter walk by and then Calder looks over to the other side across the hall and then sees Lisa at her computer desk she's typing away but she's not even looking at the monitor yeah she's like not even looking at anything really yeah. she's kind of because she's a you know she's at this point she's dead uh, but she's typing around like typing like mad yeah. crazy and he walks in and he's like Lisa Mona Lisa <laughs> dude I, my note is it's so freaky when Lisa's typing hyphen it's also freaky when I said Carter. I called him Carter. Uh, calls her Mona Lisa. I was like, oh, yeah. he's so weird. He's got yeah. He's got such a. He's I don't know. He's got very weird expressions that he does. He he does, and their yeah, their their dynamics weird. I want to know a backstory on that. Right. Shit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he notices something's off, and he walks up to the computer yeah. and she's so, typing. This. You mean you mean he noticed the fact that she is like violently typing while not <laughs> blinking at all or looking at the screen? No, and, <laughs> and he walks up, and all she's writing is "I live, I live, I live, I live, That's I live" awesome. over and over, hundreds of yeah. times, hundreds. Of, and he's like. What's funny in that moment is he's actually reading the words. Like they cut to his face and he's like, you can, he's mouthing the words. <laughs> yeah, I, I, live, live, I, I live, live, I live, <laughs> I live. Like, dude, do you really need to read all those? Um, and then suddenly the typing just stops. Like a new page. And then you do a close up on the computer screen. It says, you will not be saved by the Holy Ghost. You will not be saved by the God Plutonium. That's by the way, real quick. I just I love that. I love that phrase. You will not be saved by the God Plutonium. In fact, you will not be saved saved. in all caps. Yeah, you will not be saved. You will not be saved. (laughs) Why did it go Arnold for? You will not be saved. You're going to die. Listen to me. But but dude, I love this scene so much it's so fucking cool i love i love that it can communicate with you you know what i mean like and it's fucking evil man it's evil and it's like done so subtly and it's never been done before where you're looking at the computer monitor and not the action going around right you're so so at this point because you're so focused you're colder at this point you're looking at the computer monitor like what's what the hell's going on and as this is going on, Susan is behind the door to the entrance of the office building and room, and she closes the door. And Colder turns to look at Susan, and then turns again back to Lisa, and then gets socked and knocked over by Lisa onto the ground. It's it's a very cool shot, and it looks like he almost he by he uh, I mean John Carpenter or the editor uh, kind of sped it up because like. All of a sudden, Lisa's, like, sort of standing next to him, and then she, like, tackles him out of frame. Like, the camera doesn't move, and she takes him out of frame, but it's very fast. And it, it it's freaky. Everything, like, whenever there's something 
freaky in this movie. John Carpenter pulls it up off with like masterful skills. Like he is a fucking master at his craft. Well, it's also kind of signature Carpenter where it's like very shocking and and it happens in a in a blink of an eye. Yeah. Like a little bit of like uh, in the fog when. Blake, the pirate, comes and chops off the priest's head. Yeah. You know, it's just like super fast, cut, done. Yep. Right? I love that. I do too. Like, all of a sudden, you, you blink and it's over, which is what kind of gives this movie that reason to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, totally. Cut to, I wrote down like base camp, like the main meeting hall. Yeah. Uh, Lennox and Leahy are in there uh, and Walt, and they're kind of discovering the news about what is inside the cylinder, right? For the first time. And then Leahy says, you know, essentially the church will need to be encased into concrete. And Walt's like, nah, I say we launch the fucker into space. (laughs) And Lennox hears something. And then from there, you cut to Calder back on the ground in Lisa's uh, workspace. And Lisa comes up on him. And and Susan gets up on him and she juices him. I said Calder gets juiced by Susan. He, She's he gets, kissing him. He gets the deep. snowball. He gets, he gets the, the snowball. snowball. <laughs> and guys, if you don't know what snowballing is, please go back and rewatch Clerks. You'll understand <laughs> yeah, it then. Corey's not going to explain it to you. Yeah, no, just, uh, go, just go watch Clerks. You'll get it. Right. From there, the the priest uh, and Barack and Catherine and Brian join in the main meeting hall and Burak asks where everyone else is. And Brian thinks they left. Uh, and they, and, and Catherine says, Kelly's asleep. And Burak is like, look, I, I hope you'll all stay. He's basically asking everyone to stay and not leave. Cause they're assuming that everyone else who's actually dead left. Right. And then the priest says, you know, who's falling asleep here. And then three hands go up. He's like, come on, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And he goes, you've dreamed about the front of this church with a dark figure. Barak, Barak says, uh, I had the dream, an image of something that didn't seem to belong to my subconscious, almost as if I was watching something pre-recorded." Mm. And I love this. This is my favorite scene in the movie, this, this exchange when Brian goes, Tachyon? Because I looked this up. I was like fascinated by this oh, for, for oh, years. Oh, ta- ta- oh dude. My my tachy- note here is tachyon particles are big in Star Trek. So when I heard this, oh, buddy, I was primed and ready for tachyon particles, baby. <laughs> I knew exactly where they were going, and I was like, give it to me, baby. <laughs> give it to me. Um, yeah, because he says, he goes, tachyons. It's a Greek word. It means swift one. And Barak says, is the dream a, a precognition, previous knowledge of a, of a future event, a shared vision of something that's yet to occur? Or, and Walter's like, by that thing downstairs? And they cut back to Brian, and he's doing the card trick again with, that he was doing earlier in the movie where he's trying to fold it and flip it. And Brian says, the tachyon is a subatomic particle that travels faster than light. And the priest says, perhaps it's a message. Burak says, maybe it's a visual message, video signal. And Lennox says, from where? And Catherine says, from the future. Anything traveling faster than the speed of light would appear to be going backward in time. 
And Brian says, a future scientist calculates that the exact spot that the Earth occupied in space is in the past, given trajectory and speed. He then beams a tachyon signal at that spot, transmitting video information backwards through time. And then Catherine says, for us to receive as electrical impulses, neural stimulus. And Leahy says, but for what purpose? And Brian says, it could be a warning as to what's going to happen. Sort of remote camera view of the future so we can change it. And as he says this, he makes the card finally disappear. Yeah, that was. And it's so cool because it does. It's it's a it's a magic trick. Yeah, he and does you, the actual trick. Like you can't see where the card goes. And he almost seems like mystified by it as well. And he he seems mystified. Catherine looks at him lovingly. Everyone else looks at him like, you're Jesus. And then this is the moment for me when I said, he's Jesus. Mm. He's the one who's delivering the message to them mm. okay. to believe. Okay. And he's showing them magic. He's showing them the power that he has in this simple card trick. Well, yeah, right, but, which is in magic, and it's just it's just an illusion, essentially. It's just an illusion, Yeah. Right? Oh, that's but good, buddy. So, yeah, I was tripping because I'm like, he's Jesus. That's He's supposed to be the Jesus figure in this. If only Jesus had a sweet mustache like Brian. <laughs> um, dude, again, this movie is dealing with... Like, so here we go, bro. Like, for, it's it's a horror movie talking about, like, like trying to get to the bottom of evil, like, through subatomic and, and, and quantum physics. And then on top of it, he throws in... Like time travel, sort of like time travel adjacent. It's it's so many concepts that it shouldn't work, but yet it does because well, John yeah. Carpenter fucking rocks. That's why. For me, the 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 nail in the the coffin of love for JC in this scene happens right at the end of this because. This is when Jesus, sweet Bryce Dash, mm-hmm. says, someone has finally shown up to tell us. I think it's time we finally stood up for what we are. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Because everyone's like, that, like, that's Jesus. Yeah. That's no. fucking Jesus. That right there is the moment where it's like, no, he's gra- gathering his disciples to rise up to battle against the demons, right? And and apparently, I, I was looking on IMDb, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, I think John Carpenter was messing around with um, the – I think the people who get turned into zombies are technically supposed to be like the seven deadly sins. But he kind of like drops that, you know. Uh, he didn't really kind of take that to its full uh, fruition, you know. Um, oh, but I think that I think that this – like Brian – kind of, you know, exemplifying Jesus, kind of like being the Jesus character, or at least the galvanization of his group, you know, if you want to look at Jesus being that way. Like, I think you're right. I think that all fits with John Carpenter's mindset of where he was going with this with this story. Oh, clearly. I think, I think that's exactly what he was doing. And obviously Satan didn't like this because he the computer monitors short out. They short out because they've now been the the, the cylinder's been disconnected yeah. from the whole machines. And they're like, wait, wait, the power's dead. All all the monitors are dead. What's going on? And you cut to Susan and Lisa dun, 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 moving the cylinder from downstairs upstairs. Into Kelly's room. 
into Kelly's room eventually. From there, uh, outside, you hear Frank outside of the church yelling, hello. But it's like watery, distorted. Hello. And it's great because the first time you hear it, you can barely hear it. So he's kind of like, yeah. hello, guys, hello. Hello. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that, the, you know, where this goes with him yelling hello. Part of me wants to have like a shot of like this like old lady on like the next block over being like, shut up and like throwing like a shoe at him. And he's like, yeah. you know, there's there's like there is some sort of comedy there of, of oh, being yeah. told to shut up, you know, in the middle of the night. But clearly, uh, but it, they don't go there. And it's great because what you're about to walk us into is one of the best scenes in the fucking movie. Yeah. It's so cool because Catherine's like, Oh, Hey guys, look, it's Wyndham guys. It's Wyndham. And she calls everyone over to the window and they're all looking out the window and you, and you see Wyndham at the first time you see Wyndham, he looks somewhat normal and then they close up on him and he's basically a zombie corpse pieced together. There's beetles pieced together by beetles. There's beetles at his feet. And he says, I've got a message for you. And you're not going to like it. And right after that happens, his body starts falling apart. His head falls off. Well, he yells, pray for death. That's his message. Oh, yeah, sorry. He says, pray he, for death. And I, I, what I like about it is the Prince of Darkness has a sense of humor. Like, he has, like, this, this playfulness to him. He could have just been like, pray for death. But he says, I have a message for you. And you're not going to like it. Like, it's there's something in that that is weirdly human, you know, like, like, like very profoundly human, um, which in that is what makes it fucking freaky, man. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. And and yeah, right after he says, pray for death, then his head falls off. His head. And and then once that happens, this is hilarious because they cut back to everyone looking at this and Burak looks like he's going to throw up and he turns and walks the other way away from the window and Wyndham's whole body just falls apart. His hands fall off. His yeah. feet fall. Very fall cool. uh, his other hands fall. Off. His whole body just collapses into beetles. That's it's just filled with beetles. That's all it is. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's, it's aw- awesome. It's awesome. It's fucking awesome. And it's a great effect. It's a very, very, very good fucking effect. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. And I agree. It's one of the best in the, in the movie from there. Coming up the stairs up into the main uh, meeting room, you, you see Calder walking upstairs, carrying a chair with him, sweating profusely. Amazing grace, how sweet. <laughs> and, and he's sweating and he's going insane. So so moving forward with all of this, is this Calder, like he's already been possessed, right? It's already been, is, is this his, is his body fighting over, right? Like this is, this is his soul trying to fight it as best he can, right? Yeah, that's that's what I think. I think it's it's his soul, it's his spirit that's trying to fight against the possession the demonic forces yeah. possessing him. Yeah. yeah. And he and he has the chair which has wooden slats on the on the back of it and he breaks one of the wooden slats off and everyone comes out into the hallway to see Calder because he's so loud. And he keeps singing and he's laughing. And he takes a piece of the wood that he broke off from the chair and he stabs himself in the neck. Right, and when he does this, right in the front in the jugular. of the neck, like, like in the yeah. fucking trachea, like right yeah. in the front. Just rip, rips a big old hole. Catherine lets out a scream, like a guttural scream, and she's freaking out. And from there, you cut to Kelly sleeping on her cot 
and Lisa and Susan and Satan in the cylinder mm-hmm. are in her room. Cut back to the hallway where Donald Pleasance is giving the last rites to Calder with his eyes open. I'm like, why don't you shut his eyes? Because that not that what you guys do. You put the hands over mm-hmm. your eyes and but that's whatever. Uh, and Kat, Catherine's like, you know, in tears, crying over him, which is very religious and biblical too. This scene, Donald Pleasance, this is my favorite moment from Donald Pleasance's priest character because I, I, I this is good writing. John Carpenter doesn't yeah. explain what's happening, but like he doesn't have the priest say, I've lost my faith. But he's giving the last rites to Calder, and he just trails off, and yeah. he's like, he's like, oh, like you can tell that, he like goes, he's oh, no, he's like he he's realizing that he it's all. First off, he's like it's all a, when it trails off, it's like he's realizing it's all a scam. Like what am I saying? Like none of these words have any meaning. And then when he says, oh no. Like, that's him realizing, like, oh, I've lost my faith. Like, I I don't think he even realized it had happened until he was called upon to use his faith, like, right there. And, dude, this is, is, like, powerful acting, powerful writing, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Totally agree. It, it It is one of my favorite scenes of his. My favorite is at the end. He done it all. Your favorite is at the end when he takes credit for everything. You mean? Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> we'll get yeah. There. We'll get a little that. bit before that, you fucking dick. Of course. When he takes course, credit for winning the everything. day. <laughs> okay. Everything. I did it. I did. It. I did it. <laughs> Anyways, back to Barack and Barack and Leahy, uh, trying to open the front door of the church, but it's totally, totally barricaded. And, and apparently, uh. uh uh, Jason Patrick heard his shoulder slamming against the the doors here, and uh, Peter Jason, uh, Peter, sorry, Peter, <laughs> Peter. Jason, um, and apparently it's it still like to this day will still like flare up. Well, I guess no that's shit. A, I guess it's a it's a nice memory of uh, your Prince of Darkness uh, wow. filming experience. I guess I don't know. You, you know what I have to say about that? Hmm. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, you realize every exit to the the church is now blocked by just shit and homeless people, right? Uh, Walter goes looking for everyone else and runs into the uh, cot room where Kelly's sleeping with a flashlight. I don't know why he doesn't turn the lights on and just tell her because all shit's hitting the fan at this point. I don't think he. Uh, I don't think he can. I think he tries the lights. Um, you, you see when he looks at the oh, ceiling, yeah, the, it's it's broken. So it's broken. And it, for right. me, it's more so like, why does he look so slowly? Like and and follow like a camera's path with his flashlight. Yeah. Whereas like human eyes, we dart around much more than he does. But hey, it doesn't matter. I literally have no problems with this movie whatsoever. No, I know it's my, neither here nor all these things. I just just let go yeah like, yeah Any, anything care. that's wonky i'm like eh, that's just 1987 filmmaking yeah. you know that's all yeah that's all yeah he looks up at he looks up at the he runs in the room and he looks up at the ceiling and the ceiling is filled with green water and he's following the trail of water to see where it's flowing down 
and where it's flowing down is it's pouring into every orifice of Kelly's body. Yeah. Of her face. Yeah. Her eyeballs, her mouth, her nose, her ear holes. It's so effective. It's, it's, you it, can it, tell, well, I mean, yeah. you can tell, shower. it's, it's, it, you can tell that it's like a reverse shot and it's upside down, but it doesn't matter. It's so fucking effective. Again, this movie, all practical effects, all super effective. Everything's awesome. I love this shot. I love this shot because it's it's going right into her fucking eyeballs like a torrent. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying yeah. how much like is flowing into her. Yeah. Into her. And it cuts back to Walter and he's he's freaked out and he turns and Susan's right next to him, but she's in a trance. Like she's not she's not she's she's next to him, but she doesn't necessarily like see him or do anything like to like him. immediately attack him yeah but th- this was yeah. what i was referring to earlier they do cool shots like this where like you don't know that she's right next to you and then she just like turns and looks at yeah I, I like that i think that's awesome very effective yeah he turns and and like he freaks turns and trips over a cot and basically knocks himself out for a moment <laughs> like an idiot fucking idiot cut back to uh birak lennox and brian and birak is panicked and he's like, what's going on, guys? Like, and they're in the hallway. Uh, everything's, you know, it's funny because he kind of like loses. He, he He's no longer the calm professor anymore. He's kind of panicking like everyone else is. Um, you cut to Leahy while they're panicking, discussing what's going on. Leahy walks to Kelly's room to see what's happening. And then Walter wakes up finally from being knocked over. And he's like, get out of here. Get out of here. You leave, leave. He's screaming at Leahy. But it's too late because Leahy gets sprayed in the mouth by Lisa. And he's dead. He falls into the hallway and he's like making a guttural noise like, Argh! no, no trumpet noises. Um, <laughs> no, no trumpet noises anymore. Lisa walks out and she walks out into the hallway uh, and the priest is behind her seeing what's going on and he just splits he hightails it into like a closet room with a boiler like it's a really this doesn't make sense because it's like why would a boiler be on the top floor or the middle floor of this church i think that was the third floor dude yeah i think it was the top floor it makes no sense it's like this giant metal boiler it i it's used they needed it for the end I get it, but it is a little bit like there would be, never be a boiler on the top floor of a church. Agreed. But it's neither here nor there. Yep. Yeah, you don't yeah, – ultimately, you don't really care, but if you think about it, you're like, yeah, that's just plot device thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he hides behind this boiler thing in this closet room, uh, cuts back to Walt. Uh, Susan's starting to approach him he runs into a closet a big ass fucking closet yeah which looks like a confessional yeah uh and closes the door and now lennox brian Catherine, and birak are in the hallway and lisa's in front of them and then calder's coming up from behind laughing he's not he's alive again yeah he's the freakiest one and he's got like a bandage around his neck yeah, like they cover. I guess after when he fell on the ground, they covered up the wound, well, and then where they probably know. tried to save him, and then you know oh, he yeah. died. Yeah, that makes sense. And Mullins, uh, sorry, Dirk Blocker comes out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. too, and his head's kind of like twisted a little bit. Like it's it's broken. not yeah, it's yeah. not too extreme, but it's like the actor's like kind of moving his head a little bit to the side. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's effective. Everything is effective. 
Oh yeah, no, it's it's so great, and it's it's very impending doom at this point. You're like, oh shit, where are they gonna go? Well, well, they end up running into the kitchen like mess hall room, and they barricade it once they get in there. Cut back to Donald Pleasance cowering behind the boiler room. Then you cut back to Walter, and he's looking through the when he went into the closet. The closet door has like a little screen that you can look through, and he's looking through it seeing what's happening and and it's like susan is just standing there staring at him this is i think this is when my wife was like i love this movie when it was when it's all the the freaky susan and lisa staring just standing there and staring that's when she was like this is fucking freaky as hell yeah oh yeah it's like we just amped it all up and like i said early in the beginning of this the first 45 50 minutes of this movie are all setting up for this moment yeah this so l- now you're like okay here we are the yeah. shit is now fully realized yeah right? the, the last it's the last we're now in like it's it, there's a lot of stuff that's about to happen but it's only like 20 minutes left in the movie so yeah. there, there's really not much time left but yeah it's like he uses every iota of time before this to set everything up and now you know what's at stake now you know what's happening now you know everything and now it just it's becomes like more of a a monster movie you know yeah fully fully monster full-on monster movie so uh calder lisa mullins dirk (laughs) susan are guarding uh kelly's room and you cut back to the kitchen Catherine's hugging brian because she's freaked out we cut back to Walter. Walter's looking at Susan and she walks over to Lisa and joins Lisa as they guard Kelly. Walter uh, spies Kelly and there's no more flow coming out of her body, but she's got this big pregnant belly now. Yeah, it's gross. And and he's like looking super forlorn like he's fucked. Cut to Donald Pleasance in the boiler room. He's still cowering and he's praying and he's like mumbling whatever passage he's reading from the Bible. And now at this point, Leahy has risen from his undead. He's now a follower of Satan. And it's cool because like when he rises up, he's like kind of crying. He's crying too, It's like you can tell that like it's weird. It's like it's almost like John Carpenter's like telling them to like pretend like, you know, your facial expressions are expressing what's happening to your soul, but your yeah. body is not under your control anymore. So their bodies are doing things, but their faces look like grimaced and well, not Lisa or Susan. Cause I think they're too far gone, but Leahy, he's like, he's still him and uh, Carter. I can't I want to call him Carter. Um, uh, Coulter. Um, they're like, I feel like they're still trying to hold on to their souls a little bit. Yeah. They're, they're fighting it, which yeah. is cool. I like that. Yeah. Cut back to the kitchen and Catherine's looking at the uh, window and she notices the sun is coming up and they go to the window and they see that they get the alley entrance area is guarded on both sides by the streetwalker homeless people. You cut to the front of the church and it just looks abandoned from the outside. Like it's very nondescript. Like I think a car, you wouldn't even notice anything. Well, You know, you're right. Uh, I'm glad you pointed it because a pickup truck drives by. And I love the fact that this movie isn't just doesn't 
just take place at night, you know, or whatever. It comes into this day, but it yeah. doesn't fucking matter. Like, no. and even at one point, I know you'll get to it, but even at one point, Walter says, uh, or I'm sorry, um, uh, the professor says, uh, you know, there's nothing anyone outside can do to help us anyways. You know, yeah. so I love the fact that this, A, it bleeds into the daytime, Nothing changes. Nothing changes when no. the fucking sun comes up. That's fucking awesome. And and yet, and I love that John Carpenter shows like just a shot of a pickup truck driving by outside because like the world is still just going on while these people are literally fighting for our souls and the world is just going on. Some might say that goes on on a regular basis yep. in other parts yep. of the world, yep. right? Yeah, no, and that's what's <laughs> that's what's fucking genius about this movie. Yep. I agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah, you cut back to Kelly laying on her cot and she's now she's breathing heavily and her skin is no longer normal skin. It looks like burned, flayed yeah. skin and it's only going to get worse. Uh, she looks super gross and she's still asleep. Walter's watching from the closet and he's looking looks over at the women and uh, Lisa and Susan. And he goes, normally I love being dominated by women. And then he says, Lisa, I'm sorry about what I said before. You don't look Asian at all. <laughs> and there's like no response. I lo- it's and he great. Just says, Shit. I-, I love all of it. I love all of Dennis so Dunn's great. fucking lines. From there, um, Catherine hears Walter on the other side of the wall and they bang on the wall and they're like, Walter, can you hear us? And they kind of go back and forth and they realize that they can dig into the wall and get Walter out. And Walter's like, how long will it take you to, uh, oh no, no. They, they yell Walter. And he goes, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and they, they knock on the wall hard and he's like, you think you can get me out of here? And, uh, and he's kind of telling him what's happening on the, on their end. And you're like, well, you know, Lisa and Susan, they've stopped attacking for some reason. They're just standing there. And then he's like, how long do you think you, it'll take you guys to get me out of here? And they're like a couple hours. He's like, he's like, great. I'll just hang out here anyway. (laughs) I like that he always has something to say, you know? Always has a fucking line. Cut to the priest. He's praying. He's cowering, uh, praying on his Bible. Suddenly the door, he closes the door to the closet room. Uh, The door gets banged open, and it's Calder. Calder enters, and he sees a long mirror on a wall. And you don't know why he's excited about it, but he's very excited. See, so when I first saw this movie, I took it as Calder, this whole scene of him kind of looking at the mirror and like his reactions to it. I thought it was him like sort of like being dead inside, but seeing his reflection and, you know, coming to grips with being dead, yada, yada, yada. But then multiple viewings, I realized, oh, he's an extension of the Prince of Darkness. He's excited because he found the the giant fucking portal, essentially. And that's what I love about this movie. It can be either or. Like, it could also be some of Calder's personality. Like, when he's doing, like, the laughing, crying thing, that could be Calder's, like, personality trying to fight it, too. All of the Calder stuff just freaks me out, man. Oh yeah, it's super freaky. And then he, and then when he touches the mirror, he touches the mirror. You don't know why. Yeah, you don't know he, why. But he's he's like very excited when he touches the mirror. Cut back to the kitchen. Birak and Brian look out the window into the alleyway, and there's homeless people on both sides again. Still, and then they Brian jumps down out of the window, see if he can escape over a nearby fence. He jumps down, and as soon as he jumps down, immediately 
the street people start just approaching him super fast. And they're like, come on, Brian, get back up here. Come on, Brian. Because he can't make it over the other fence. It's yeah. too steep, too high. Yeah. And he's trying to jump back up, but he's having a hard time grabbing on to any of their hands. And he finally grabs on to uh, Lennox's hand and they pull him back inside just right before they grab his foot. So good. So good. What a so great good. little so like, moment, you know? Yeah. It's a great, like, accelerated, oh, shit moment. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Now you cut back to Walter in the closet asking if Susan and Lisa have seen any good movies or <laughs> seen any movies they like. And they just stare. Yeah. I mean, it's it's freaky, but it's funny, but then it's freaky when you think about it. Again. It's, yeah, I love it. It's the perfect balance yeah. of of humor and horror. Mm-hmm. It's He nails it perfectly. Yep. And cut, yeah, he looks over at Kelly's belly and now the belly is changing and you hear like crunching sounds like the liquid is now absorbing into the entire body and her like rib cage is breaking to move it and stuff it's like like it would have already been freaky but they added those crunching sound effects which is oh man that's just so gross amazing but also but um, but amazing too i love it this is funny because walter's like he decides to tell a joke he goes (laughs) all right a jewish mother goes to the airport to meet her daughter the daughter steps off the plane with an eight-foot-tall Zulu warrior with a bone through his nose. The mother screams, You fool! I said a rich doctor! <laughs> <laughs> no one else laughs. From there, cut to dream. This is not a dream. We are using your brain's electrical system as a receiver. We are unable to transmit through conscious neural interference. You are receiving this broadcast as a dream. We are transmitting from the year 199, and then it cuts. Oh, it's so intense. And that's Catherine wakes up from the dream at Mm -hmm. this point. Same image, front of the church, dark figure. That's it. Lennox is digging into the wall while Catherine is sleeping, and Brian is discussing with uh, Burak how to get out. And then Burak then says, like you said earlier, no one out there can help us now. Catherine walks over to Brian. She brings up the other day how he wanted to tell her something uh, that morning, but he didn't. And she says, well, maybe you think that doesn't matter now, but you're wrong. It's the only thing that does matter. Yeah. And they kiss. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like cool. that. I fucking like that. It's, it's it's important because at this point, at the end of the world, the human connection is all that matters. And I just want to show you this, uh, how I took my notes for this. Like, I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> it looks like the fucking book from Seven. When when they find, you know, yeah. John Doe's fucking book, it looks like from Seven. That's that's Zach's notes on, on this movie. <laughs> I, I just, I, I was like, as it being one of my favorite movies of all time, I just wanted to get every little detail I thought was important. Yeah. We'll see if I overanalyze or underanalyze. We'll see. Hey, man, this podcast will live on past us. So these are our thoughts on the movie. True. Very true. Very true. Cut back to Calder at in the boiler room. When I'm just going to call it the boiler room. Yeah. Um, uh, Pleasance is praying too loudly. By the way. Yeah, too loudly. And then Calder's like making faces, like almost like he hears something, but he's like looking angry, happy, sad, mad. Cut back to Kelly laying on the cot. 
her skin is like peeling back now and there's red patches that are exposed. She looks like a burn victim and yeah. where like the just the blood is starting to ooze through. It's so cool She's because moaning. it's like her it's like her body can't fucking contain all of that inside of her now. Yeah, it's so disgusting. Um Walter's freaking out. The sun is now setting. The worker ants, uh there's worker ants at the window. This is when Birak, this is interesting. He he says he he calls the ants and the street people all colleagues. They're all controlled. And then Brian says demonic possession and Birak says of a kind. And then Lennox Lennox wakes up from his dream. Yeah, you can tell then, he had a dream too cuz he like he, wakes yeah. up and he's like, you know, looking at his face. And it's interesting that like here like a whole day goes by and it John Carpenter condenses that like a lot, you know, the, this yeah. day essentially because all they're doing is digging, taking turns digging through the wall trying to get to Walter. Although Walter probably should have been working on his end, but yeah, we'll get to lazy. that in a second. Yeah, and and just so to, to kind of give you a picture, it, it, it's it's a stucco wall, but then there's brick in between, so they got to break through the brick. Yeah, so the the stucco is very. They got through the stucco quick, and she was like, uh, or when someone said it's going to take a couple hours, like why? But yeah, there's brick in there. That's the problem. Yeah, Brian says, you know, is this demonic possession? And then Burek says, of a kind. Um, and then Lennox wakes up, and Burek continues. He says, not what we would expect, though. Uh, he goes, why would, why Catherine asks, why would he need us? And Birak says his purpose is to bring the father back from the dark side. Birak continues to says, this could be a limit. There could be a limit as to what he can do as a volume of liquid. He controls simple organisms easily. Maybe he needs something more complex to complete his life cycle, a host in which to live. Walter calls out to them and says that Kelly's changing. The swelling on her body's gone down as if the liquid has absorbed into her tissue and changes on her face. (laughs) Changes on her face. Her bone structure is changing. And then cuts back to Birak. Birak says, maybe this thing is the, maybe this is the only way he could actualize his power. A parasite growing into its host. Catherine tells them that Kelly... She's like, I knew I saw that symbol before. Kelly had the astrologer's staff used in ritual magic in the Middle Ages on her body. She was chosen. They ask Walter to keep watching. And Walter's like, I got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I I like that. I love that line of dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) All right. He's been in there fucking since last night. Yes, of course he's got to go to the bathroom. He's got to take a shit. I'd go and pee in the corner. (laughs) Me too. Take a crap in the corner, man. (laughs) Yeah. Drop a deuce and uh, like a fucking then, animal. <laughs> you cut back to uh, Donald Pleasance praying, begging for help against the unclean spirit. Clean spirit. Calder's still at the mirror crying. Walter cut back to Walter. This is all moving pretty quickly. Walter flashes his light on Kelly and then she wakes up, her eyes open. She turns and she looks at Walter. I just wrote, fuck, because she moves the cot right after that. Yeah, I love how gleefully evil the Prince of Darkness is. It reminds me of Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith 
when oh, yeah, he totally. when he like has first off i love revenge of the sith because it's a movie about one man's best day ever and that is palpatine's he he is so happy to finally be unleashed and i i i wouldn't be surprised if you know, somehow, some way, this movie influenced that acting um, from Ian McDermott because from this movie f- forward, you know, uh, the Prince of Darkness, the 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 Son of Satan, um, now inhabiting Kelly's body, is so gleefully evil that I'm just I'm so ha- pleased every time that I see her. I, I know it's gross and everything, but she's so happy. She's so happy well, that I can't help but be happy with her. Well, she looks gross, but she's she's now, you know, this this Kelly, this meek uh character throughout the whole thing, which is probably intentional, yeah. is now this embodiment of all evil. And she's And you have to be like, "Oh shit." And she's very expressive. Even though oh, yeah, she's, she's got great. a shit ton of makeup on, her eyes and everything are very very expressive. Yep. Yeah, she it, totally because uh she moves the a, a cot with her with her mind and Walter shits hey. <laughs> probably literally. By by the and way, she Zach, just laughs. That's telekinesis, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Boy. <laughs> and, I'm um, so glad you get that reference. What is the meaning of your power? Wonder Boy. Oh, God, I love that so, song. She's laughing. Uh, the priest is a priest is praying. Calder senses something because now Kelly's awake. Kelly rises. She Walter still has the flashlight on her for some reason, and she burns out Walter's flashlight. Uh, she moves more shit in the room, more cots. Walter's screaming. He's screaming, holy shit. <laughs> I love Walter's freak out. It's great. Right. Cut to Brian. Brian's digging as fast as he can. Walter's freaking, screaming, and like <laughs> back and forth it's, in the room. It's great. It's, it's, it's good comedy. It's actually, it's good tension releasing comedy. Oh yeah, but it's great. And, and, and it's like an aliens moment, you know, when, uh, Hudson's freaking mm-hmm. out. It's like, mm-hmm. we, it, we, there's always going to be that guy that freaks out. Yeah. So, yeah, he's freaking out. Uh, Brian and Lennox and uh, Burak decide to, like, to take down the barricade in the kitchen to go out and get Walter that way, I, 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 I'm I imagining. Yeah. Um, Kelly rises and goes to Susan and Lisa, turns and looks at the closet door where Walter is and, like, have it cave in slightly. Like, they start to push it in. The, the barricade's now removed to the kitchen. Lennox has a two-by-four in his hand, and I love this because Burak says to, to Brian, he's like, here, and he grabs him, gives him a big old two-by-four. Yeah. Uh, Susan and Lisa go to the closet and start to break the, rip the door apart. Walter finally starts smashing his end of the wall with his flashlight. Should have been doing that the whole time, buddy. And he's like, you know, Charles Bronson in The Great Escape. He's digging tunnels. <laughs> and uh, and Kath, Catherine is breaking the wall on her end. And Brian opens up the kitchen door to look out. And I love this moment because he opens up the door and they cut to Burak, who has a soda can who he and chopsticks. He puts the chopsticks in his mouth and he shakes up the soda can. Uh, and you don't know what he's going to do, but it's just a funny fucking moment. It's like such an egg Shen moment from it, Big it, Trouble. It's it's so egg Shen. I love it. Brian, Brian checks the door 
And then Mullins like pops into the door, jolts through. It's a, you know, classic Carpenter where it's shocking. You're yeah. like, oh shit. Yeah. He loves those jump scares, right? Yeah. And um, it got me. From there, it got me both times. Both oh, times when I was watching it this time, it got me. I was like, oh, John, you got me. <laughs> yeah, he does a jump scare and then he has the music that kind of goes along with yeah. it, which is so terrifying. And then um, Susan and Lisa are still breaking through the door. Walter's bashing it in, bashing his wall in. Mullins walks into the kitchen. Uh, this Burak, Burak sprays Mullins in the face with the soda. And Brian whacks him in the fi- whacks him in the head with a two by four. Uh, but he turns and he now he's pointed right at Lennox and Lennox hits him, but it has like no effect on him because maybe Lennox has a weak hit and he sprays Lennox in the face. Yeah. Lennox is worthless. So, <laughs> yeah, it was like another just another dead body they needed to go along the way. Yeah, I guess. But it's like, man, he he just did not get any good lines. He got nothing. And then just got dispatched by Dirk Blocker. Fucking Dirk Blocker got yeah, you. Sorry, Dude. Dirk Blocker. Yeah, Le- <laughs> Kyle Gass, Lennox, Kyle man. Gass. Lennox. <laughs> Lennox is dead. Um, and then Burak takes his chopsticks and he stabs them in Mullen's eye socket. Yeah. Which is great. And he falls to the ground. Kelly is in her room and she looks down on the ground and sees a little makeup uh, kit, like a little makeup mirror with the with the blush and shit like that and freaks out when she looks down and sees it. And the first time I saw it, I thought that her freaking out was Kelly freaking out at her own reaction, but it's actually the Prince of Darkness freaking out that he's like, oh, daddy, daddy, I can get to you. Wait, this is too small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I, I love I love this. I love this whole sequence here. So uh, I, I love Su- I love everything about this like last probably like about ten minutes of movie that we have left. It's ten minutes and it's there's so much packed yeah. in and it's so frenetic yeah. and breakneck and tension and so filled with tension. Uh, Susan and Lisa are almost into the closet, breaking away, breaking in. Walter's almost through his wall. Brian sneaks into the hallway. Uh, he sees Leahy approaching, crying, uh, trying to fight off. Like It seems like he's trying to fight off the possession. And he tries to spray Brian, but Brian ducks. And then he hits Leahy with an uppercut with a two-by-four. Just knocks him on his fucking ass. Just knocks him out cold. Cold baby. cocks that motherfucker. Cold cocks But him. real quick, I love how Leahy, yeah, he's like crying. Like his face is like, he's like grimacing. He's like contorting because he's like, he, the, the character is trying to fight it. I I love that. That's what freaks me out. The, the, the idea that like you can retain your, 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 your personality when you're, when you're being possessed like this. Like I would just rather be gone like that's like just use my body like my but this is like putting forward that like the 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 person's soul is still like attached to the body it's which makes it even fucking freakier man oh i totally agree totally agree it's so intense right after this happens walter has now broken through the wall uh but then the the lisa and susan have also broken through the door and they're trying to pull him back uh, on the other end, Burak and Kat and, uh, and Catherine are trying to pull Walter through on their end. And I, I will and say if- that Myra, my wife, uh, she noticed that Lisa kind of bites Walter's ankle and right there she goes, Oh, he got bit. He's going to turn. So it, it doesn't happen, but it was interesting that like my wife cued in on that. 
spit him but didn't spray him. Yeah, the, ex- you know. exactly. Like in this movie, you got to be sprayed. Not, biting won't do anything. But it, yeah, I was like, oh, um, I, I didn't even pick up on that. She like she did. You know, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, shout out to Myra for picking that up. I, I didn't even notice that either. Yeah. Um, and I've seen this movie like 50 times. So uh, from there, yeah, it, this, I love this part because they get Walter through, but Lisa still continues to come through. <laughs> and Burak picks up a brick, and so does Walter. And they start bashing over the fucking head with it. Like, really. And she's like screaming and, you know, just like getting all angry and shit. They're like, it's doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And it cuts cuts back to Kelly picking up the mirror and then cut back to Lisa rising up and this is when Walter just knees her in the gut <laughs> and they they Birak and Walter fucking throw her out the window. <laughs> throw her out the <laughs> fucking window. They they dispatch her. I love it. <laughs> it's so amazing. So now at this point, cut back to Kelly. She's saying father, father into the mirror and she takes her two fingers and she sticks her two fingers in. That's all you need is two fingers. <laughs> that's all you sticks need. her two fingers into, <laughs> hopefully, uh, sticks her, hopefully. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sticks her two fingers into the mirror. You see these like wet, just coagulated, disgusting meat fingers that she's sausage fingers that she's sticking through the mirror. And in all the all, all the mirror stuff, by the way, is done with uh, mercury. So, and, and anytime they stick the hand or the fingers through, clearly are obviously fake hands because you can't stick your hand into mercury. But that's how they got the mirror effect. The water mirror effect is is with liquid mercury. Oh, that's badass. Well, it's really creepy because the is. whole thing looks like it's it's bright shining yeah. light. Uh, yeah, she she finger bangs the mirror <laughs> to go into the dark side. Uh, isn't that what what always happens? <laughs> oh, oh I, I point, love Brian... you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> she finger bangs the mirror to go into the dark side. That should be just the shirt. Just quote: She finger bangs the mirror to go into the dark side. <laughs> Quote, yep, Zach Schaefer. There you go. Hyphen um, Zach. That's it. That's it. That's the whole quote. <laughs> pad. So from here, Brian's watching in the hallway, uh, and Kelly's screaming because she can't do anything. She can't get her dad out. Yeah. She can't finger bang her dad out. And she smashes <laughs> the mirror on the ground. <laughs> and and then Brian, Brian is like kind of sneaking out, and then Kelly leaves the room to go find Calder. Brian sees her and he kind of hides in another room while she's walking into the boiler room where Calder is. And and Donald Pleasance is behind the the boiler machine, whatever the fuck that thing is. Yeah, the the giant boiler machine, yeah. the, the mangler as it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the and, mangler. Uh, the fucking that movie sucks <laughs> yeah, by the did. way. Yeah, it did. it's terrible. And um and Kelly approaches Calder and Calder's like squealing like a little child and he treats her like a she treats him like a little child like she's like Petting him basically, yeah. and she sees the giant mirror. Uh, Pleasance is still hiding. He snakes a peek from behind the boiler. Kelly approaches the big mirror and calls for her father. The mirror lights up, and the priest is still peeking. Cut back to the kitchen. Burak and Walter recover, and then Susan pops out of nowhere. And they just grab her and toss her out the fucking window too. <laughs> they just, they just take out the trash. I. L- 
I love it. It's such great little comedy. They just, she pops up. It's a little bit of a jump scare. You kind of jump, but then they just immediately go. They just both grab her and chuck her out the window. <laughs> you take the trash out just like that. Take out the trash. <laughs> so I love it. So you cut back to, this is kind of funny too. You cut back to the boiler room where Kelly's staying in front of the mirror and awaiting her father's arrival. And the priest looks down on the ground and he sees like a, a, a tarp and he lifts the tarp uh, and there's a giant axe on the floor. Sure, Just, sure. You know, sure, sure, sure. And so uh, Kelly reaches through the mirror and then the priest like picks up the axe and he goes, I could, I could say Kelly. Wait, uh, wait what does he say? Because I didn't he, have he subtitles says, on. I could, I could. Like he gets all excited. Okay, okay. That's what he says. And then the, you know, Kelly's arm is through the mirror now. And this is so freaky because she's like reaching into a dark pool of darkness, a pool of darkness. It's so terrifying. So terrifying. The darkness pool. Yes. It's the dark side. All the dark side pool shit is so, so terrifying. So well done. Uh, It just fills my imagination with horror. In a good way, in, in a totally good way, but just, it, it's so, fuck, th- this last five minutes of this movie, I, I mean, it's it's not a slow burn. This movie's not a slow burn, but what it burns to is fuck me amazing. Yeah, because it's, it's like an hour 45. It goes by really fast, yeah, it, I yeah. think. It, it's, it's, it's not like, yeah, it's a little bit smidge past an hour and a half, but boy, yeah. does it just fly by. And this point... Uh, and the priest is now says, as, as she's starting to pull her dad out, uh, or, or reaching out to grab her dad, uh, Donald Pleasant says, unclean spirit. And then Calder sees, like, he turns to see what's going on, and he starts to approach uh, Pleasant's, but at the same time, Brian, who still has a two-by-four, comes up from behind and grabs him with the two-by-four to pull him into the hallway, yeah, which is pull- fucking awesome. Yeah, so awesome. Pulls him into the hallway and back to the priest uh, who's now speaking Latin. How many? Speaking tongues or whatever. He grabs the axe. He has the axe in his hand. He chops off Kelly's arm, which just floats into the abyss. (laughs) Fucking float. And this is awesome because from there you cut back to the uh, Catherine who's now left the kitchen. She turns and she sees Brian. on Calder's back and, and they're wrestling each other. Calder's like banging him against the wall, driving him into the wall. Um, and he's laughing as he's doing it. Cut back to the boiler room. Kelly Sat- slash Satan's arm has now grown back. And, and, it's, and it's, 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 it's an easy effect. All yeah. the, all the actress does is put her arm through the shirt that she's wearing yeah. and it makes it, but, but it, it, it literally, there's no effect there. There's literally no effect, but yet it is so fucking effective. Like this it's is so, yeah. this is like practical effects 101. Like in not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. It's just like this is why practical effects are fucking awesome because it works. It just works and she just sticks her hand through her arm. It, it it's awesome. It fucking works and it's awesome. I, I don't I love it, man. I fucking no, I love this it. climax is so awesome. I love it too, dude. It's, it's, it's so great. It's so great. So yeah, her arm just pops back out and without hesitating, Pleasance chops her head off. Yeah, it's like, fuck, <laughs> it's like, fuck it. I'm going to go full tilt boogie on this thing. Yep. 
Yep, and and this 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 moves so fast because we immediately cut back to Calder, who throws Brian off him, uh, and then you cut back to the boiler room. Kelly has now picked her head off the ground and she pops it back on her head and, you know, does the whole thing where she's like moving it around like it's stuck back on her head. Yep. And it all, like, it um, all works. Mangalore Mountain. Yep. And, um, Mangle, Mangalore Mountain, the old toy. Yeah. The old toy. You okay. could rip the body parts. Okay. And then, yeah. yeah just, make, just make sure that's what, <laughs> deep, we're on the same page. Cut, that's dude. all. <laughs> deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, at this point now, Kelly's like, well, fuck this. And, and she moves the boiler to crush the, <laughs> Uh, the priest against the wall. She she telekinesis Kyle's him. <laughs> yeah, she telekinesis bitch, and uh, and she and then from there she smiles, and she goes back to the mirror. Brian is still battling Calder. Catherine's in the hallway. Uh, she steps, walks by Leahy, who's on the ground, and he kind of reaches out like a jump scare, reaches out to try to grab her. Uh, she gets away from him, and that's one of those jump scares where you see it coming, yet it still works. Yeah, it's still effective. Yep. Still effective. It, it's you know what's going to happen, and it still works. Cut back to Kelly, who's now reaching out, and she's grabbed a hold of her father, and she says, Father, come father. to freedom. Father. And this giant hand approaches in the abyss. You and see this giant devil hand. It's so cool, because when she pulls it out of the mirror... It's like all like vibrant red. Like it's like I Ugh. love that John Carpenter went like traditional devil like legend. He's, he's like yeah. he's like it's like um legend. It's like the fucking yeah, movie legend. legend. Yeah, he's like yep. let me. I'm just gonna go full on traditional devil with this thing. And I'm like, you know what? Good job. That's which that's is an fucking alien. awesome. It looks like an alien. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's fucking awesome. And and as as she's starting to pull her father through. You cut to Catherine, who's now, like, torn, right? Do I help Brian with Calder, or do I deal with what's going on with Kelly pulling the devil out? You, it, it, she's got this torn look on her face, and she's kind of panicking. And, oh, this is where it gets me. So she screams, and she rushes. She's, like, she's... I, I'm not doing it justice because she's like going back and forth panicking yeah. about it. And she's finally just lets out this big guttural scream and rushes Kelly, tackling her, pushing her through the mirror. And right after that happens, the priest lets out this Dominic Gabina or something like yeah, that. Something like that. Has the axe right? in his hand yeah. in Latin, throws the axe at the mirror. You cut to Brian screaming, No! And breaks the mirror, shatters the mirror, cut back to Kelly in the water being pushed out, and Catherine reaching out with her hands to the mirror to try to get get someone to, hopefully Brian, to reach out and grab her and pull her back out of the mirror. And it is such a punch to the gut. It's so sad. It's where you're like, no, it's so terrifying because you know that the, she's alive and she's just going to have the worst things happen to her at this or, point. Or, you know? yeah, it's, or who knows? Oh, yeah. It's it's two seconds. It's three seconds. It is so fast, but I am forever haunted it's by haunting, the visual yeah. of it, of her in the darkness, clearly in water, like like just reaching out and and 
Like I have such a I have such a fear. I mean, it's probably my Catholic upbringing, but like I have such a fear of the idea of getting taken to hell when you're undeserving of it, you know. And and like will like if hell exists, will an angel rescue you? I I don't yeah. know. But here, like the fact that that she saved them all, but by doing so is. I assume she died, right? I assumed her body couldn't, you know, stay there. So she, she probably dies immediately, essentially. It's like water. But you can say whatever you want. You know, you can – it's just – it's so – yeah. Nothing can well, do it can, justice. Nothing can do it justice. And can it's, you imagine – And it's one being... of the most amazing three seconds, four seconds of cinema that I've ever fucking seen in my life. That one yeah. shot of her agreed is horrifying. Agreed. I mean, because my, my my vision is like, you get thrust through this this thing. You see this light, this portal to get you back home, and then the light goes out, and then you're just in darkness, just, like surrounded by demons and. I mean, I assume that she what. was. Yeah, I assume that she like her body didn't survive it, regardless. But like, I like I don't think she's. I don't think it's like the type of ending like From Beyond or The Void where she's like walking around. Like, I think that was like she was dead immediately as soon as the the light flickers out. She's dead. I hope just so. For a second. I, I, I hope so too. I hope so too. But but those two seconds when she's hoping for salvation and it doesn't come are like. Horrific. I, guys, I, I, my love for this movie is this scene right here. I mean, I love this movie regardless, like even if the scene didn't happen. But the reason for me that this movie is a fucking 10 out of a 10 in the horror category is because of what happens to Catherine and how yeah. effectively it was filmed by John Carpenter. Well, Burak kind of nails that nails the uh you know hits the nail on the head at the end with his line but it kind of sums it up for the movie in general we'll get to that line Mm -hmm. in a second but it's so true like it's absolute like her death is the reason why this movie is as good as it is yeah it's her death it is it is it is that like her death in that that one shot again it's guys it's only like three or four seconds but it is Words can't describe because, like, I am 42 years old and I have seen a shit ton of movies and I have never seen any other movie, even The Void. And you know, Stephen Kostansky, like, was trying to channel this shit. Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I have seen so many movies, nothing comes close to what happens to Catherine here. And and just no. the genius of it as a filmmaker and just the horror of it as a viewer, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. worth it for this yep. one fucking shot. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, and all honestly to um, Brian's reaction after she yeah, goes yeah. through because he's so yeah. he's so forlorn and so just like gutted because this woman that he clearly was in love with yeah. sacrificed herself for everybody. Uh, and, and, and he couldn't do anything to save her, you yeah. know, cause he's got this big lumbering dude on top of him yeah. who's now officially dead. Yeah. In fact, all of the, you know, afflicted are now dead, um, with this kind of dry smoke coming out of their mouths and the pool of green, uh, liquid on the ceiling has now dried up and faded away. Yeah. 
and everybody yeah i wrote everyone that's got juiced is now like has smoke mm-hmm. coming out of their mouths Every, and, and they're all dead everyone that got uh, bukkakeed everyone got bukkake and i and i love this because at this point now you cut to uh the front of the church and the homeless people are just kind of walking away like nothing ever happened then you cut back to the window of the kitchen and walter's now hopped out of the window and he's running to get help and it's, it's so cool because he walks by a few of the homeless people like kind of like nervous, but they're just kind of like they don't even pay him any attention. Yeah, the hold is it's gone. The hold's over. Yeah. Um, cut to later the, the next that morning, I guess. There's policemen, firemen, paramedics arrive. Paramedics are carting out bodies. Uh, they cut to Walter outside of the church with a blanket, just kind of like looking at the church. Uh, and then you cut back to Donald Pleasance on a stretcher talking to Birak. And he goes, we, we stopped it. We, we stopped it here through the grace of God. And Birak looks down. It's interesting after he says that because Birak looks down like he's questioning that, you know, like, yeah. no, not necessarily. And then he goes, I stopped it. Yeah. The future con, the future conjured up by the serpent will not happen now and then he gets and then the priest gets carted away and i'm like motherfucker yeah. you're yeah 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 okay you shattered the mirror but you did not stop it at all dude yeah. you're in the corner praying crying complaining yeah mm, stop it now yeah i i was like Sorry, no dude. no you asshole Catherine did it not you dude a vile serpent, yeah, yeah. You you just shattered the mirror, yeah, motherfucker. I, you're the fucking vile serpent. Yeah, like you, it's like it's like you've like re like your re your religion is reinvigorated. Like why? No, how dare you? Yeah, how, how dare, dare you? you? And then Brian is at the shattered mirror, like looking devastated, <laughs> and uh, rightfully so. And Birak approaches them and says. Smaller parts could not live without the strength of the whole. They had to die, to fade away as the whole was thrown back and repelled. We're safe, but he's waiting on the other side. She died for us. And then that cuts into final dream. This is the full final dream realized. Same opening. This is not a dream, not a dream. We are using your brain's electrical system as a receiver. We are unable to transmit through the conscious neural interference. You are receiving this broadcast as a dream. And now the dark figure that we saw originally looks a little bit different. Mm. And it says, we are transmitting from the year 1999. And the dark figure is revealed, and it's not the devil, but it's in fact Catherine with her arms out. You are receiving this broadcast in order to alter the events you are seeing. Our technology has now developed a transmitter strong enough to reach your conscious state of awareness. But this is not a dream. Catherine at this point is opening her arms. You are seeing what is an actual occurring phenomenon for purpose of causality violation. Brian wakes up from the dream in bed turns over and then sees rotten Kelly looking at him, but big old <laughs> smile on her face screams. 
It's like a garbage pail kid wakes up again. I love that. I, I, they don't do it all that often in movies and I do love it when it's done effectively wakes up again, a dream within a dream drenched in sweat, screaming, gets up out of bed, goes to his long mirror. He's touching his face with that beautiful stash and he reaches out, starts to put his hand to the mirror and right before he touches the mirror end scene credits. So fucking good. Prince of Darkness. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. So fucking good. A few thoughts on the end. One, (laughs) how shocked were people in 1999 when the anti-God came out looking like a 1987 (laughs) uh, woman with (laughs) his shoulder pads and uh, 1987 hair? I would have been like... going to the mall in the the other world. I would have been like... I would have been like, we we are broadcasting from the year 1999. The devil looks like she's from 1987. I don't know why. Um, but I, I will say, you know, for like an example of these final dreamlike jump scares that I think are, are, are contrived is like, a movie like The Descent, she gets out. Uh, do, you, do you have you seen that movie? You've seen that The, the Descent before, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I like The Descent. Yeah, yeah. and I, I know I, what you're saying. I did too. But at the very end, the, the one of the characters gets out, gets into her car, drives away, and then looks over, and one of those you know creatures is in the passenger seat. It's stupid. It's contrived. It doesn't work. This this does because it's it's a dream. I don't know. It it just fucking works. And then the very end, I'm like, oh. At the end of this movie, my fourth viewing, I'm like, oh, John Carpenter is telling you that mirrors like are, are it's like where the devil lives. I'm like, this movie is so fucking awesome. There's so many fucking layers to it. It's crazy, but I love it. So my final thoughts, I got no, uh, I got no other final thought other than I fucking love this movie. And I, I wish, well, I don't know, maybe if I saw it earlier, it wouldn't have connected, you know, I wouldn't have understood it, you know, but like, I saw it at the right time, and it resonated with me, and it hit me, and every single fucking time I've seen this movie, I love it more, and I've only seen it like four times now, but I truly like it more every single time I see it, so, and my wife loves it, so I'm gonna be watching this more and more as I get older. I assume at this point that most of our listeners have seen this movie, you know, but if you haven't and you made it this far, watch it, just watch it. It's none of our words can do any justice to how fucking awesome Prince of Darkness is. Zach, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for introducing me to this movie when we watched it the first time. Um, I, I'm glad that we talked about it here. I've been all day long, like chomping at the bit to just talk about the fuck. I've been chomping at the bit to talk about this movie since the first time you introduced me to it. So this is perfect. This movie is a perfect piece of horror. And I don't even know if it's horror. It's like sci-fi. It's philosophy. It's horror. It's so many things. But what it is at its core is entertaining, it's interesting, it puts forth some really fucking cool ideas in 1987 and ideas that are much more mainstream now, which is so fucking interesting, you know? But, oh, yeah. But ultimately, everything that it is, 
is effective. That's what I, I have to give this movie the, the highest praise because everything that John Carpenter does in this movie is effective and it leads to the like the ultimate goal of the what it's trying to say. And nothing is wasted. This movie's damn near fucking perfect. Seriously. Seriously. I'm 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 no bullshit. This movie's fucking awesome. I love, love, love Prince of Darkness, dude. Yeah, it's uh, it, I've seen it. I don't know, twenty, thirty times, forty times, maybe. I uh, and it and it holds up now as much as it did back when I saw it in a different way, though. Yeah, you know, my forty, some odd, uh, mindset is was different than when I was eleven years old watching it, and I love it now as much as I did then, and just in a deeper way and I appreciate it so much more and I love every performer in it. Uh, I think everybody does their job effectively and perfectly Um, top to bottom. It's an end to end burner. It's, it's a flawless film in the, in the little things that make you go, Hmm, I don't know about that. It's they're neither here nor there, whatever they'll let it go. It's not a big deal. And if you haven't seen this movie and we haven't convinced you at this point, then uh, you're probably going to go to bed tonight and have a dream. <laughs> and you're going to see in your dream, we're going to be standing there coming out of a church <laughs> with a Blu-ray in our hands saying, get that fucking movie. Uh, I, yeah, I know it's getting re-released as like a 4K. Okay. Who cares? Like, you could watch the DVD version of this. It's the same quality. Let's be honest. You're not missing anything. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I think having subtitles is key. So you can pick up on some of the things we pointed out. Yes. Yeah, su- subtitles uh, is super key in this movie because there is a lot of fucking information in this movie. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's so much information. You, it, this movie needs, it, it demands to be watched multiple times, uh, just to absorb it. But I, I also, I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add, it's also so very unique there are like yeah. no other horror movies like this out there and if they are they're very they i'm sure that they came from this like they watched this and they're like let's i want to kind of do that this movie is so unique yeah that's why i love it i think if if you look at my list of my all-time favorite films there's nothing really else like some of my favorite films out there. And that, and that is wh- another reason why I love this movie. When I describe it to people who've said, what's, what's your favorite horror film? And I describe this to them. They're like, I've never heard of that. It sounds really cool. I want to check it out. And there are, believe it or not, quite a few people who haven't seen this that are horror aficionados, which is great, which is awesome. Uh, and you can always reintroduce it to a new audience. So I hope you guys enjoyed this this magnum opus <laughs> of uh of 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 one of my favorite John Carpenter movies of all the times. I had to do it. You did, you did the thing. I did Prince of Darkness. So there we go. You close that chapter for now. You did a great job, buddy. It was an oh in-depth God. breakdown. It was so much fun, dude. And uh I know it's late for both of us. Um but I I do appreciate it and I I loved talking about this movie with you man it was ditto this movie's great and it's such it's 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 a movie that 
I love, but it's so Zach to me. You know what I mean? Like anytime I watch it, I always think of you. And I think moving forward for the rest of my life, I will always associate this movie with you. And honestly, I love that, man. I think that's fucking awesome, dude. So me too, man. Th- this is great. This is fucking awesome. Prince of Darkness is fucking awesome. But you know what else is fucking awesome? Two dollar two dollar late fee. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, $2 late fee is is where you can find me outside of the pad universe. Um, and it is a deep dive into 80s nostalgia movies and soundtracks and interviews with popular people from that time. Um, and then uh, sprinkle in a few legends here and there. In fact, uh, by the time this episode airs, we did an interview with Ed Asner, which was different and bizarre and kind of a one-off. Um, the story on how we got that interview <laughs> is funny. It's almost uh, funnier than the interview itself. But Ed Asner is a living legend. He's like 92, yeah. 93 years old. And he offered some really cool tidbits uh, on just life in general. And then we have an interview. Uh, shit, we've interviewed everybody from Eric Roberts to um, – um, Mitch Gaylord to Olympic gold medalist to um, Matt Adler from North Shore, which is many people say is their favorite interview that we've done so far. But we've got a lot of big ones planned for 2021. You you uh, you guys are producing some great content over there, and I gotta say thanks. that today on the day that we are recording the Prince of Darkness review is also Helen Slater's birthday. And uh, if you guys follow the uh, podcast After Dark Instagram, I posted a, a happy birthday and I also mentioned that you know two dollar late fee you know episode. I think it was like episode number four. You guys talked about um, The Legend of Billie Jean and uh, Invincible by Pat Benadar. And you guys, you and Dustin's review of The Legend of Billie Jean is the reason that I went out and bought the Mill Creek, you know, Blu-ray for like seven bucks. And uh, which I love Mill Creek, man. They have the best slip covers out there. Best slip covers in the biz, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and the best they pr- do. And the best price in the biz. Like all their fucking Blu-rays are like seven bucks. It's great. Anyways, you guys did a fucking great review of The Legend of Billie Jean. Loved it. And uh, it's you and Dustin are the reason that I watched it and are the reason that I love that movie. So I highly, highly recommend checking out Two Dollar Lefe. Oh, dude, thank you so much. Yeah, we uh, it's it's totally different than than Pad, but it's it's in the same universe. Uh, And we and for 2021, we we're going to start off that year with a bang because we are going to talk about one of actually my all time favorite 80s movie uh, in the first month in the in the in, in January. And I, then we have a guest I, I, I my, think I know what that movie is. Can you tell us just, what that movie is? It's going to be real genius. Oh. And I won't tell you what the, we always do a movie and a song. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a very special guest from that movie as our interview which will be coming up. So check us out on, on $2 late fee on Instagram, $2 late fee.com. Find me at Zach Schaefer, VO.com. Uh, and sleazy C where can we find you in the flip side of the mirror world? <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm floating through the fucking void talking to our pal Adam about Seinfeld every fucking week on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. I think this week when this comes out, um, our like 
80th episode will drop. Jeez. We're like, I know, right? We're like, we're like half, like, we're actually, we're getting close to the end of season five. So we're a smidge further than halfway through all of Seinfeld. So we watch, we watch every episode. We break them down. We do, it's the same thing as, as, as here. It's just with Seinfeld. So it's, it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, check that shorter, out. Shorter, shorter episodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's funny because you know the episode of Seinfeld's twenty-two minutes, but sometimes we'll go for like an hour or so. So yeah, it's 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 it's, it's still the equivalent of pad. But uh, you know, if you guys are out there perusing podcasts and being like, hmm, let me see what else is out there. I would highly recommend checking out our pals Tim and Dean over at Talking oh, yeah. Back. They uh, put out some great content over there. That is very much in line with Podcast After Dark. They've, at this point, reviewed every uh, all of the Predator movies, all of the Alien movies. They're doing Aliens vs. Predator. They uh, they have some great shit, and they're fucking hilarious. Those guys are awesome. So yeah, they're good. Check them out. Check out Blast From Our Past. You know, all of the shows on, our, on the BFOP network that we're on. Um, all of them great shows all of them great people Um, but you know if you got a little cash to spend just a smidge why don't you swing on by our patreon page if you didn't know we have a patreon page zach what's all the good shit that we got over there buddy oh we have exclusive interviews with everybody from I'll throw out some names that typically don't do interviews. Tom Noonan at this point, uh, Tom Noonan will be our latest addition to the podcasting after dark interview series. Uh, Steven Kostansky. If you don't know who he is, you will very soon. Trust me. Day of the dead. Uh, (laughs) Psycho Gorman. Yes. And um, Tony Simpone, Fangoria editor in chief uh, at one point. Amazing guy. Diane Franklin, Mark Ralston, uh, who's on our free feed, obviously, but but uh, Jeanette Goldstein, um, and we have an upcoming interview with a with a <laughs> '80s icon from television and a few sprinkles of horror films as well. The, uh, it's really exciting. The interview that we have coming up is kind of unexpected, but yeah. I am so happy about it i am so thrilled and even it, and you guys will see it when it when it happens and zach was even like hey i'm talking to this guy do you want to interview him and i'm like uh yeah <laughs> i fucking love that guy so uh I, we don't want to say who it is right away because you know we haven't locked it we haven't actually recorded it we don't actually say the name until we you know we have it in the can as they say but i think you guys will enjoy it though yeah, it. Uh, he. I asked him today, in fact, if he would do the interview, and he said I'd be honored to. So, if anybody says they'd be honored to be on our podcast, I'm always floored by that. That's yeah. a, that's a huge compliment. So, yeah, uh, go check us out. Check us out. It, on, it's fun. Yep. Please check us out on Patreon. All all proceeds go to just help keeping the show on the air and keeping us producing new content. I uh, hope you guys like the TV Obscura episodes. Um, we got some other you know uh, shows coming out and everything we're going to be working on. So I think 2021 is going to be a big year for both $2 Lay Fee and Podcasting After Dark. So no I'm super fucking excited. And Zach... 
Thank you, my man, for for tackling this movie. Thank you for breaking it down. I know that it was a lot. I do appreciate it, and I know it's way past your bedtime. So I just want to say thank you. But I fucking you need you know what? you're gonna have to take a picture of that so I can post it. Um, I thank you, buddy, and I thank you for for bringing uh, Prince of Darkness to the table. Fucking love this movie. I can't even. I, I, I can't. It's just, I love this movie. This movie's a fucking 10. I fucking love this movie. So please, go see it. Go check it's it out. It's my pleasure. Thank you, buddy. And as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus... You get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.